Two Daydream Believers podcast. <laughs> this is your host, Space Orphan 18, and today we are we've reached the end of season three. It's that's we, we we've done it, guys. We've reached the end. Everything after this is just new territory. So um, we're kind of doing a wrap up episode, and I have a, uh, three really awesome guests for you tonight. So you guys, want to introduce yourselves? I am Arby, also known as C. Kerouac on Tumblr. Uh, Mel, also known as 47Mel47 on Tumblr. I am Snarky Hag, also known as Snarky Hag on Tumblr. (laughs) Welcome back, guys. It's good to be back. Like, I don't know if we should cheer the end of season three or if we should be like, oh, it's over. No, we're we're having a party. (laughs) I I know what your vote is, but, you know. Feel, I feel like we you should know, give it both sides. There's an upside. <laughs> there's an upside? There's some upsides. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, actually, yeah, that goes into, well, first of all, before I get into that, you guys wanted to do podcasts together, so you should be excited. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah! Woo-hoo! Um, Yeah, kicking it off, I, I mean, let's... I just wanted to take a second and look at seasons one and two, and and you can argue that one and two are relatively different. I agree, but season three is a different beast. And um, I just, what are you guys' thoughts coming? Like now we've hit the end of it, and I don't know. Go ahead and somebody take it and talk about the differences between the first two seasons and third. I mean, I feel like it's a little different, but I to me, it's not as different. From one and two, especially from, it's not as different from two as I know that you and some other people may feel. Like, I think that there is, uh, there's definitely a sense of there are more cooks in the kitchen, um, writing and participating in that. I think some of the characters that they introduced are a little bit weaker um, than were in one and two. And I think that there's a little bit of, um, whiplash between serious and not so serious that is more pronounced than one and two. But I still think that it's more similar to one and two than it is to four, five and six. Yeah. 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 Sorry. It's on that point. Like just, it feels a little bit more bloated. It feels like with there's more characters. Is it, is it during this season where the, like the choir 
the Glee Club is the biggest that it will ever be? Is that sometimes it gets up to like so. I believe you're right. So we're like we're we're dealing with with more characters and they're not necessarily being dealt with um, as equally. And I also think part of it was that um, you know perhaps they didn't know exactly where it was going to go after this season. Like there was. You know, there was the rumours that came about at the end that it was going to be Chris Lear and Corey's last season and would it be spinning off? Would they be gone from the show? They were obviously building up to a Nationals win at the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, so there was – I suppose there was a little bit of a sense of all of these seniors, where was it going to go? And I don't think it necessarily had a clear direction. See, I think season three is Glee's awkward teen years. It made some mistakes. <laughs> it tried some stuff it shouldn't have tried. There were some meaningful moments that shaped yep. what it was going to be into its adulty. <laughs> but, you know, it's trying to do too many things. It's not really sure what it's capable of. And it's just sort of, you know, you like it because you like it. But it's not the best phase. Mm-hmm. I think I think season three is the result of it being a victim of its own success. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, um, they got really full of themselves because it was you know they they had hit this cultural zeitgeist, um, and then they decided that they were going to do not just what they were good at, but they tried to do everything. Yeah. So, I think there was pressure on them to be more yeah. at the same time that there was pressure on them to do some things less. Mm-hmm. And sadly, the things that they needed to do less were the things that people started to care about more. Yeah. So you have all of this stuff where it's like, I'm watching this hour long show. I care about 10 minutes of it. I'm amused by 15 minutes, you know. And then there's like, I don't know, you know, you look at all the ABC plots, there's always one plot that's just awful. And mm-hmm. that's yeah. sad. That's just sad. But that's pretty consistent for season three. If you have the ABC plots, one of the plots is just terrible. Hmm. Well, and I will say I will say this because, uh, you know, you guys have heard me bitch for the last 22 episodes or whatever <laughs> in podcast land. It's been. Wait, wait, do you not like season three? <laughs> I, I literally would not have guessed. You no, know, no, I don't. <laughs> um, but you know what? And it's funny, Snarky. You'll have to, to comment when we get into season four if my tone changes back to a more loving uh, thing. Because I remember at the beginning of the season, you're like, you're different now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're going to have a lot of quiet Kurt. So I think you're still going to be unhappy. Not as much. I, I, well, we shouldn't talk about too a much about season four. Yeah. Upon reflection, I like season three more than I thought I did. Well, that's what I was going to say. I I think um, going through it and doing meta, going through it and talking it with you guys, I can appreciate a lot more of the stuff that I maybe didn't before. Um, Season three still has my low points of things that I just want to throw things on the TV set with, but um, it's it's still a season of glee, and it's still overall enjoyable. I I mean, you know, if you... As a fan of the show, uh, each season has its strong and weak points. So, um, what I found was interesting, kind of going really quickly off uh, off topic, is the survey that I did. Um, 
people that took the survey, which were my um, all the bloggers on TVD, um, ranked season three as the fourth favorite season, which kind of surprised me a little bit over seasons four and six. Uh, I'm guessing part of that had to do with the fact that Colleen was together and in four and six they're not. Um, <laughs> but I, I wonder if you guys had any thoughts about that. I think that the power of the first time and be, we're talking yeah. about cleaners, obviously. The power yeah. of the first time and Big Brother and Dance yeah. with Somebody goes a long fucking way. It sure yeah. does for me. And like, like season season four and six were they were different, so they're polarizing. So we yeah. season four the introduction of the dual like Lima and New York and sort of I suppose by the time we get to season five we're used to that sort of thing like and clean it back together. Um, and Again, season six with them going back to Lima, I think was a polarizing decision for for a lot of fans. I think that it made for great storytelling, but um, I think season three is familiar to most people, and that was sort of like the original Glee and what people, you know, were comfortable with in terms of Glee. So maybe that's what played into that. I also think that at least for me, and I know that there has to be other people who are in my situation. Season three was the last one that I consistently watched. Um, I think a lot of people are in your situation. Right. And so when I'm thinking about things that I remember, it's seasons one, seasons one through three are what I consider to be Glee. Um, Mm -hmm. I consider them at McKinley. I consider them, you know, doing uh, regionals and sectionals and nationals. And that's my idea of Glee. Cause those are the three that I watched when it was airing without fast forwarding through things. I didn't catch up on it on the DVR. Um, so I think that it's, it's that, that familiarity with it that has it ranking a lot higher, regardless of whether the storytelling is stronger or not. Oh, right. Um, And I think something that people need to keep in mind with these kind of surveys when I keep putting them out is people are not ranking them based on, merit or storytelling ability or it's about emotional response and yes um I, you know okay, no, no, nothing on tumblr is done by merit it's all emotional exactly <laughs> i mean let's be honest all right well let's get let's we're gonna kind of go through kind of like we did the last time and and just talk a little bit about some of the overarching um stories that happened in season three and whether they worked or didn't work or what we kind of thought about them. So uh, first up is Will and Emma and the slow, you know, I wrote in my notes, the slow phasing out of Will's character as a main character, which I think is there, but he still got some really, really bad plot lines, but also Emma and the fact that she doesn't really have any kind of plot lines outside of her relationship with Will. I mean, she's basically reduced to a prop in his story, which is sad because I think that she's an interesting character. And I think that they had done some interesting things with her in season one and then didn't know what else to do with her. And so she has become a prop in a creepy guy's story, which is sad. But the proposal was cute. I don't think that was that bad. Out of all of the things that Will and Emma had over the season. Okay. I mean, if you want to compare it to, like, touch a touch a touch me, (laughs) this is, you know, comedy gold. (laughs) You know, one thing that kind of stood out to me (laughs) throughout this this particular season, though, is that um, with Will, the only time, like, 
it, he is being phased out, but I can kind of ignore him unless he gets a plot line and it's in my face. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, he's still, they're still trying to make him partially a, a main character. I mean, like, it's what it reminds me of is if anybody has seen Mean Girls, it's they're trying to make Fetch happen. They're trying to make Will happen. <laughs> and they've been trying for three years. And it really hasn't worked. Poor Will. Which is sad because I, I enjoy Matthew Morrison and I mm-hmm. feel like he's talented. And so I kind of feel like he got the raw end of the deal because his character sucks and then he got no plot lines and then his character sucked with no plot lines. And Yes, but he's still the teacher of the year. Which I don't understand. <laughs> Legitimately do not. I mean, was there nobody else running? Like, well, you know my between theory. Between him and Sue? And so people <laughs> were like, I mean, if these are my two choices, I'll pick the one who's never threatened to shoot me out of a cannon. <laughs> Snarky, what's your theory? That there aren't any other teachers at the school. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he oh, stuffed the ballot box. I mean, it I mean, was the, the people first who time are one left. Yeah. The people who are left are like, you know, the people who teach home ec or art. That's obviously in a different season when the puppet making happens. Uh, mm-hmm. There's substitutes that come in and out. There's coaches for particular things. But you don't see any other grown-ups wandering the halls really (laughs) at all um so it could be that mckinley is so bad that he really is the best one (laughs) season three maybe the whole school is some sort of psychology experiment i don't know know? it's just it's so funny i feel like that whole thing and as mel unfortunately had to listen to me rant about it in the nationals (laughs) podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just is kind of like the cherry on top of this season is him getting teacher of the year. So it, it yeah. fits with all of the really screwy things of this season. So um, the one thing I did want to mention because this affects going forward is that Will is really affected by this group of kids leaving. And um, I, I find it a little unfortunate because he gets so stuck on this group <laughs> that it makes him an ineffective teacher for these kids who coming up who really need a teacher, so it's not normal. No, it's, it's not. Not it's to not. Be... And they could have used that as a storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they they make a few throwaway jokes, which is fantastic, but they could have used it in a storyline in such a fashion where it would have been kind of interesting. Yeah. But instead, they just don't. I mean, yeah, you develop you develop connections with your students. That happens naturally, um, especially when, like, you're involved. As well, we still don't know whether Glee Club's extracurricular or part of their actual school day. But um, especially when you're involved in those sort of extracurricular activities, but you don't get so involved that you're like planning your wedding around them being there, and you know that's not normal. Who would pick a student to be their best man? Well, it's just gross. Does um, he have? Does he have no adult friends? But that's the thing he doesn't. And was it Sue makes a comment about that in Big Brother about yeah. Sue? We you know yeah. we know that Will doesn't actually have any adult friends. Um, and I mean, just, man, I just want him to find a hobby. Well, he doesn't have any coworkers because nobody else works at McKinley True. aside from the people we see. He and Sue. What about we Coach Beast? Is, used to be friends. Is Coach he and Beast Emma not? are dating? He's out of people. Yeah, Coach Beast should have won school teacher of the year. 
Oh, Ricky Martin. Is she a teacher? She's a coach. Okay. What about Ricky Martin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 100%. We, for no other reason mm-hmm. than the fact that he understood the subject he was teaching. Ricky Martin. He is light years above Will Schuster. Oh, yeah. he's so attractive. I mean, <laughs> talented. <laughs> he's he's good at Spanish. Uh, I feel about him the same way Kurt does. I'd flip over in my chair for him. If only, if only was it Senor Ma, is it Martinez? If only he could have Cooper Anderson. Oh my God! No, you had to go do that. Oh my yep. God! <laughs> I can't lost. even remember. Is this the season when they also have uh, the League of Eagle with League of Eagle? Oh, God, I can't talk. Evil, where no, they was... bring Cheyenne. No, that's season two. That's season that, two. Okay. It's all season two. But speaking of the League of Doom, Legion of Evil. I, I just remember the Pink Dagger. The Pink Dagger is my favorite point. <laughs> 100%. Um, moving on to Sue and Becky. And Sue doesn't... Sue has kind of two big storylines this year. She has her um, face off with Bert over the congressional spot and she gets pregnant and has like a never ending pregnancy. So yeah, Sue. The the show, they never knew what to do with her after the first season. Like she was, she was a fantastic antagonist in that first season, but like there's only so far that you can take that. And then that, the yo-yoing that happened throughout the rest of the show. So one episode she's helping them, now she hates them again, and now she's doing this, and now she hates them again, um, didn't necessarily work. Her character um, literally has no growth. No, no any time they try and make her, I mean, because at the beginning of the season, her, do- her daughter, her um, sister had died last season, and they tried mm-hmm. to give her some kind of, you know, emotional arc with the congressional stuff, but it didn't really work. No. Same with the so pregnancy. The, whole, the baboon heart advertisement as part of the congressional thing was hilarious. Bert Hummel and his baboon heart. That was, that was <laughs> This is the thing about Sue. Sue doesn't need to have plot lines. No. She is a hyper-realistic character, and she should exist only in reaction to the other people who have yeah. storylines. Yeah. Because attempting to give her a storyline doesn't really work. Which is, you know, partially because Becky's a, a spinoff, not a spinoff, it's a, a, a secondary character to Sue. Becky suffers because she's the secondary character to this person who's sort of un, the character that's unhinged in terms of how things are going. But mm-hmm. Sue works fantastically as a reaction to any other thing they have going on. So I don't need to know what she's doing at home, what's mm-hmm. happening around her life, whether or not she's having a baby. You know, she can show up and be as odd as possible and really amp up the insanity of the moment mm-hmm. and be the right. sort of fourth wall break as needed, be the comic relief, be the antagonist to somebody else's story that's already happening. And she doesn't need to be fully fleshed out. I think it weakens her to try and flesh her out because we don't want her to grow a heart of gold. We want no. her to be difficult and fun. I want her to shoot people out of cannons. Yeah. I want her to be as logical as the joke where she gets the kitten and then punches you <laughs> oh, in the face. God, yeah. That's that's, <laughs> that's the level that's she the needs to stay at. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm trying to think of they, they pretty much they dial her back a little bit in season four 
and it, I, you know, coming out of, it, it feels like, whereas everybody gets just a little bit of everything. The only thing that's in abundance is the Finchel stuff. It still mm-hmm. feels like too much Sue, but I, and I think that going for the, get a little bit of a handle on it a little bit better, even if the will versus Sue stuff gets really tired, but here, I, yeah, they just are kind of going all over the place, not sure what to do with her. Yeah, and that's why that's why like Coach Roz worked so well because she would just appear, she would spill some like crazy shit, and right. then just go, and it was hilarious. And she and didn't have growth. No, nope. no, and she, yeah, and that's she just was freaking out about Sam's three nipples, and um, <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, or the fact that he's the size of his lips and like that, that worked brilliantly because she was just there to add some commentary and then she would go off back to her synchronized swimming pool and we didn't need to worry. I really enjoyed Roz versus Sue. To have a character line. He doesn't have to have growth. Just show up achievement and that's it. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say, um, about yeah, coach Roz for exactly the reasons you said Mel. She is so funny and interesting because they they really did well with how much they used her. It was just this little bit. It was to antagonize Sue, which was fun. And yeah. then they didn't see her. You didn't see her, you know, very much. And kind of Sue, I, I realize that the show loved Jane Lynch. She is a fantastic yeah. actress. She's probably the best mm-hmm. actress on the show. But yeah. yeah. Um, any thoughts on Becky, though, while we're talking about Sue? Um they do develop her character a little bit more. I know she has that crush on Artie, which I thought was relatively well done. Um, but she hasn't gotten to that kind of bitchiness that she will in uh, seasons four and, and on. So, I feel like Becky yo-yoed as much. I mean, they attempted to flesh her out because she was supposed to be a more realistic or sympathetic character. But, you know, when you're connected to the main person you're going to yo-yo in the same way that they go back and forth as well. And there are moments that Becky has that are interesting or neat or fine, but she's not someone who gets a plot line that is really well thought out. It just seems like so much of her stuff is just sort of reactionary to either other things that are happening or other things going on with characters it's hard to look at Becky and think like, okay, well, you know, she's a, she's a, she's a student who's fully fleshed out in the same way anybody in the Glee club is. She's more fleshed out than kids who are in the Glee club. Some of Mm -hmm. them. Um, But honestly, it's not until later seasons where I think she gets a little bit more interesting. I mean, I've, I've never really, cared one way or the other about Becky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? She's she's there. I don't find her character terribly engaging, but I also don't have the same feeling of why are you on my screen? Like I feel when mm-hmm. say Rory comes on. Um so I mean Joe. Oh yeah, he exists. <laughs> I thought I was doing good remembering that Rory exists. <laughs> <laughs> so these these guys do not make a terrible impre- terribly strong impression. Well, we'll get to that in mean, a second. So she's fine. I mean, eh, whatever. Yeah. They just have they're such yeah. a big cast at this mm-hmm. point and they're trying to do so many things like we talked about. She is one of those people who we either need to have more or have less. And we got more than we needed. 
but with less quality. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, I don't know, I think season three was frustrating to watch as it aired because you just felt like, why are we not getting to the things that could be better? This is sort of filler. And for Becky, I think that she sadly ends up doing a lot of things that are filler. And this season needed an editor. The season needed an editor so bad. This season needed an editor and about 10 less characters, unfortunately. To be be like, I know that you think that character X is really interesting, um, but they're not. And it has no bearing on this plot line, a future plot line or anything in the past. So cut it. It just feels like this season they thought they could maybe kind of do it on autopilot Mm -hmm. because they had a formula. Um, This this season is very formulaic um, and it it suffers for not having a more watchful eye on it. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, formulaic, that kind of segues nicely into um, the talk about the competitions and how, at least for me, it. You know, you can only do competitions so many times before it gets repetitive. And the whole Nationals thing was so telegraphed at the beginning. It it just didn't feel like it was like, oh, God, here's another competition episode. You know, why do we care about this? Well, we always knew they were going to win this season. I mean, just by nature of how the story should go, um, they were always going to win. And so realizing that there was no real dramatic tension in any of their competitions this season. For me as a viewer, because, because we knew they were going to win. I remember, you know, my feeling was, Oh, well that's actually kind of great because it takes all of this focus and tension off this particular part of the formula and now the rest of the story can breathe. We have all these seniors in the room, juniors in the room, these people who have been together for a really long time, this fabulous cast of characters. And so we don't have to feel the pressure of, oh my God, what if they don't make it to nationals this time? You know, well, that well, we sort of tired storyline was moved on. So all of the competition episodes were just kind of like, oh, look, there's some fun songs and moving on. But I still feel like they were trying to build it. Like, they were like, oh, will they or won't they? And as Mm -hmm. viewers were like, they will. Like, we get it. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. Well, that's the (laughs) thing about the autopilot. Yeah. In previous seasons, it was like, ooh, are they going to do it? Uh, Yeah, they're going to do it. Like, of course they're going to do it. That would be a totally different show if they didn't. So, like, it's just, you know, it's too many possums in the sack. (laughs) <laughs> you know, going off of that thought, though, I feel like then it is the you know natural progression to take the show away from that when they head off to college. I, I mean, and that's why you know because like RB, not to be just to play devil's advocate, I suppose I'm not trying to pick on you. I promise. Um, oh, I don't like, care. Go for you it. said you know one reason you you really enjoy the show is like it's about this high school and it's about the glee club mm-hmm. and the competitions and et cetera, et cetera. But at what point does that feel like? You know, you have a choice. You can either stop or you can, you know, take the show in a different way. Sure. And I will argue that it probably should have ended at the end of season three. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah. I think she's I feel not like wrong. the end of season three was, could have been a very solid series finale. I don't um, disagree, I don't, but, but I'm glad that it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. 
But that was going to be like, I was going to argue with that at the end. So <laughs> the show, the show that they wanted. Yes. Is the show that would have ended at season three. I agree yes. with that. And then season four suffers from, oh, what the fuck is this show now? Yep. And everybody who's still watching it is like, it's this other show. <laughs> <laughs> it's that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. More of that thing. It changing gears a little bit. Let's talk about the Glee Project and the Glee Project winners. And, you know, we talked about it a bit at the beginning, but, you know, now that we're at the end, I feel like it, it was a hindrance. And even, like, adding sugar, um, it, it just felt like... Oh, I love sugar. I thought sugar I, was a great addition. I adore sugar. Mm-hmm. I will say she was more interesting than any of the Glee Project, except for Unique, yeah. more interesting than any of the Glee Project stuff. Yeah. I mean, I she, feel like the, sugar fit. I feel like yeah. sugar was the type of character that I could have seen in season one. Um, I feel like she was funny and served her role well without trying to become a quote, uh, become a new main character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought sugar was amazing. I thought she was the best addition to season three as yeah, a regular. She was, she was never meant to be um, yeah. a major player. She was just mm-hmm. there for the, the silly lines, the Glee yep. Club member who can't sing. Um, I mean, servicing the whole trouble tone storyline, blah. but in terms of like her actual character, it worked. And mm-hmm. she she was a great, I thought she was a great addition to the show because she was just this little person in there doing what she needed to do. I have in my notes why creating a role naturally for your show works better than having to make up roles for people because you have to fit them in there. 100%. Mm-hmm. But also, yes. you know, I was thinking, now that I think of it, Sugar is kind of like Coach Roz in that they used her in the right way. Like they put her in when she was funny or needed. But they didn't. They didn't really develop her. She never gets really intended to develop. No, Mm-mm. no. But that's, and that's forced to think, see her. Yeah, in terms of like the the creating a role naturally. I think even though um, Alex Newell was part of the Glee project, the the unique character worked because it was almost similar to that of um, how Chris Colfer got the role of Kurt. Sort of, he auditioned, and there was something about him. And they created a character around that. And it was the same kind because I did watch the Glee project. And so there was something about Alex and that they created like this role of Unique that worked. And the fact that Unique didn't become a part of the New Directions until the following season, um, it was and it was because of the audience response to her that they could develop that character more. And whereas the other Glee, so Rory and Joe, they felt so forced because they were forced into this Glee club. They're expected to be considered these major players in this Glee club, and they were just ugh. We didn't they care were about. Boring. Well, I yeah. think you could argue that they did the same thing with Joe that they did with Unique. It was the same thinking. Just yeah, Joe's just fucking boring. It was boring, uh, or and he's was- just he's just nowhere near as interesting. And no. for the most part, what what we got out of the Glee Club was boring. Glee, the Glee, what's it called? Glee, Glee <laughs> The Glee, Glee Project. Project thing. It was boring. Yeah. It was really, it was really boring. boring. I didn't watch it. It looked awful. I don't really like reality shows anyway. And, yeah. you know, I, I just think they could have added those dudes into the Glee Club. They're, one of the things that Glee is actually quite good at is having limited like limited characters do somewhat stereotypical things in a Mm -hmm. way that's very effective for either drama or comedy 
Yeah. And make it work. Like, look at their, I mean, all of their other one-off types. Stoner Brett. Right. Oh, I love Stoner Brett. <laughs> I love Stoner Brett. Stoner Brett's great. Right. Every time he's on my screen, I'm like, yes. If they would have reduced, and Sugar, she's similar. If they mm-hmm. would have reduced Rory and Joe to something on that level where mm-hmm. we don't have to care about them too much. They're just some dudes who are around. Mm-hmm. That would be fine. Yeah. I even think that and Joe. Then, if we, as I was going to say, and then if we did care about them. We'll then build them up from there, like we did with Unique. We yeah. got little glimpses of Unique, and we went, that's awesome. And then they built it, rather than vice versa. I feel, this is how I feel about Rory and Joe. I feel like we all felt when he had the boner on on Quinn during physical therapy. <laughs> I don't want that. That's weird. Can we stop with this storyline now? <laughs> That's the that's the summing up of all of season so, three. So his his boner is the stand-in for fandom. His yes. accidental boner on on us is his not wanted. boner. <laughs> Unwanted boner. Um, I will say I think Joe is more interesting than season four because he kind of sits in the background and has some funny one-liners and uh, some funny yeah. moments, but you don't really notice them. In fact. I bet you guys, like, when we talk about it in season four, don't know. I, I figured it out. But um, do you guys know when Joe and Sugar randomly disappear for eight episodes? No, you really don't. I don't even remember him being in season yeah, four. Yes, he was. Cool. He is there. I for that they disappear really great at one point. He gets that really great moment. He gets that really great moment with the interfaith paintball team <laughs> where the Muslims and the Christians can shoot each other. Sugar and Joe paintball. make it to episode 15 before they disappear. But yeah. it's kind of, you know, yeah, they come back to the very end. It's kind of random. But anyway, I just, you know, if Glee's going to bring in all these other people, let them, let them be punchy like Ross yeah. or Sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, Sugar had a little too much screen time, in my opinion. But that's just, I'm, you know, I'm anxious. Um, let them be punchy and effective side characters. And let the more deep characters be what the show is about. Right. Well, then they did that in season one. I mean, when you think about it, you know, you have Will's story and you have Rachel's story and everyone else's background. I mean, Mike and Matt Rutherford didn't speak. And, you know, the Mercedes and Artie and Kurt and Tina were really backgroundy. And uh, Brittany and Santa- Santana were really backgroundy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. you really didn't have those kids having actual storylines, and the balance worked a lot better. It was a lot more boring. In my season opinion. one was But much look tighter. at how good, I mean, if you look overall how good, for the most part, Glee does with characters who just show up a little bit. We get mm-hmm. a sense of who they are. They they do something important, and they move on. Case in point, Carol. Yeah. Oh, Carol. Carol. Fucking amazing. And it, well, and yeah, even, and it, I'm going to throw this out there. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and even Bert, because even when he was counted as part of the main cast, it, he wasn't there very sure. often. Bert has a little bit of character growth. Yeah. But it's always in service of Kurt. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's anytime secondary... he's on screen, it's very obvious that yeah. anything that happens to him or growth that happens is in service to Kurt's storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is exactly what Blaine is right up yes. until yeah. Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what I was going to say, and this kind of actually goes into our fifth topic a little bit, um, I'm kind of adding to it, um, is 
I think Glee did well with its guest stars this year because you get these one-off, you get Rick Martin, you get Matt Bomer, you get, you know, Nene Links, and they are just these one-off characters that are fun and entertaining and then they go away and you are left wanting more as opposed to Mm -hmm. feeling like Holly Holiday, good God, why is she still on my screen? So... Yeah, they ran into the problem with her that her schedule was a, was much freer than I think it should have been. And she was much more eager to come back than she should have been. They shouldn't have asked her back. But it was like, well, Gwyneth Paltrow's available, so we should we should use that. It's like, mm, you shouldn't. Okay. You just shouldn't. Um, one exception is Adina Menzel. Um, and it's not her fault <laughs> that, that, that no. her storyline. They could have done so much more with her character. So much more. In a or different so way less. that made more sense. They could have done less. Yeah. <laughs> we should have seen less. <laughs> but I think they could have done more if it was done in a different way that made more sense. Sure. Like her running the... Um, her being a theater teacher. I think that's what yeah. I had said previously. Like, do that. That would have made sense. As opposed to her hanging out in an empty classroom just... Waiting for kids to show up. I don't know. Whatever. It's a it's a well, total waste of her. You know, she can't be friends with Will because they would probably fuck. So they can't do that. <laughs> they can't have men and women adults together. They either have to be they can't be friends. They either have to be enemies or they have to be lovers. That's how it is. Yeah. And sorry, Will, there's no other adult males at McKinley. I don't have to think. Are there really any more adult male? Like actual long, no, I mean, Figgins might be the closest Figgins. Not that we've There's seen. There's Bert Hummel, who does not want to hang out with Mr. Schuster. No. Because Bert probably has other friends. <laughs> Bert has Carol. Who cares? Yeah. Bert <laughs> also has every fucking teenager in that glee club in his house all the time. Rachel's dads were delightful too. Yes. Again, wrong, people who wouldn't want to hang out Now I have a club. mental image of Will showing up at the Hummels knocking on the door and be like, can Finn come out and play? <laughs> or like, you and, know, the and Friday Bert night... And just like, get some adult friends, you creepy fucker, and closes the, the door. Friday night dinner where accidentally all the teenagers are there too and Will shows up with like, I brought some guacamole. Maybe he's not <laughs> even knock like, on the door. Oh. Maybe he's just pressing his face up against the window hoping that somebody notices him. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>. Hey, friends. <laughs> You I love, wanted him to in? be friends with Beast. That would have been okay. They had they make it weird. It they still had in season two. They had her. They had him kiss Coach Beast. Kiss yeah. Barf. Yeah, he's already been super inappropriate to Coach Beast. So yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't want to jump on that friend train either. Yeah, I know. It's just you know we had that blaming in the alcohol episode where they sing in the Western bar. And I'm like, oh, this is a good friendship moment for them. Yeah, but then and they like they could, yeah. And then it got really weird in season four. Well, yeah, yeah. Beast is well. I hear that. Finn's Finn's a great friend. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he was good enough to be best man. Though, when do they hang out together? After school. <laughs> <laughs> On the way to football practice. In the showers. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> when he should be teaching the other students it's like hey Mr. Schuster uh, I have a question it's like sorry I can't I'm looking at Finn Finn, <laughs> Finn has a, he has a little something on his face let me just 
Let me just wipe that <laughs> off. <laughs> oh. It felt like it. It felt like it. And I think that was because instead of weaving it into other storylines, they had a very special episode. Um, Like you did with, say, 80s and 90s sitcoms. So, I mean, they basically pulled the Jesse Spano takes caffeine pills because you can't have her take actual drugs from Saved by the Bell over and over and over in this season. Well, this season is the one that's highly episodic. It's formulaic. And so rather than there being really like story arcs you would have to follow from week to week, they decided to make a show that was easier for the casual viewer to drop in on, see some fun songs, learn about doing this or that, and moving on. And I mean, compare it to like, so speaking of the... Saved by the Bell, Jesse Spano, Caffeine Pills, Don't Do Drugs kind of episode. They basically did that episode in season one with vitamin D. But mm-hmm. you wouldn't but you wouldn't consider that a quote unquote very special episode because it was hilarious. Yeah. And it's the sunshine and also angels. And <laughs> one of my favorite music numbers and one of my favorite things. But basically what they were saying is maybe you shouldn't take performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, well that's yeah. the thing. In in season one <sighs> They were a little subtler, in, uh, especially in their first 13. But the thing that I think got out of control is that during seasons one and two, you had thematic episodes like Sexy or um, Grilled Jesus was about religion. But after the success of the bullying storyline, it felt like they were like, okay, well, we are here to, you know, support all of these teen issues. So let's do this, this, and this. And then the tribute episodes were like the other half of the episodes. I think the tribute episodes yeah. work better, but it still felt like an abundant, like it just stopped being about yeah. the actual themes and then these storylines that come together with the themes. It's more about what can, what kind of plots can we revolve around all of these, you know, PSA topics and tribute episodes. Yeah. And that's sort of what I said, the tribute, I mean, some of the tribute episodes are fantastic, but they sometimes just don't quite work because they're trying to make the story fit the music, not the, instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then the fact like having Saturday Night Gleaver and dance with somebody like back to back, two tribute episodes back to back was just spread it out. <laughs> make it like, it was just the second half of the season felt particularly sort of from sort of on my way through to, to dance with somebody. There was sort of a lot of stuff being thrown in there. Um, so kind of going through that, the biggest theme, uh, listen to my clever segue here, is the seniors and graduation. And, um, the, the fact, um, that they really tried to showcase these, what, six, seven characters and had the juniors be kind of the secondary thing. But, um, let's talk about Glean College, guys, because (laughs) anybody on that writing staff go to college? (laughs) Obviously, none of them have ever applied to college because it was a cluster, a cluster. And, you know, you it's a very dramatic time in teenagers' lives. It's something that could very easily have been used for dramatic tension, for uh, interesting discussions with their friends and their families about, you know, 
what are they going to do? Are they leaving this small town? Do they want to? Like, there was a lot of things that they could have done that they did, like, bits and bites of. But they could have done it with all of the seniors and had very different experiences with them because they're all very different people. And those Mm -hmm. are all issues that students face when applying to colleges. It could have been so much more interesting than it actually was. Yeah, I agree. And I I would have loved for at least one of them, at least one of them on this show to have the idea that you can enjoy the arts and not major in them. Like, instead of framing it as if you don't major in an arts field, you're a failure. Like, oh, no, you know, I guess I won't be a singer. I guess I'll just be a lawyer. You know, you can you can do both. And that's, that's one of the things that makes me angriest about this show. I was going to say, that's not just a season three thing. That's a show thing. They, they put so much emphasis on the actual performing art part of it that they they really missed out in having conversations about having music in your life, even if you go into science, having right. music in your life and being somebody who works the technical side of it, having music in your life and having, you know, um, being a composer, being, you know, all of these other things. I mean, already being a director is like, you know, that's the best we got. Yeah. So, exactly. So, the fact that they put so much emphasis of someone being a teacher, a teachers, I, I feel like they don't get enough credit in this show, and they should. And well, the only teacher they have to look up to is Shu. <laughs> they do it a little bit with Finn, and we'll, well, but that's season four, which is much better. Um, so, <laughs> um, but I, I think it's odd that they didn't. Actually, you know, I'm going to take that back. It's not odd because I'm going to make my point about Quinn. And this is the season where uh, Diana Aaron must have made someone very unhappy. Um, Because from the start, season one, you know, you have Quinn concerned about getting pregnant and having to stay in Lima and being a Lima loser. Being a Lima loser is a thing that they know about. These kids are already concerned about where they're going to go and what they're going to do. Rachel is motivated. They're all motivated about basically getting the fuck out of town. Yeah. And how and what you're going to do next. They did a decent job of servicing the idea that th- that worked around Finn, which was sometimes you don't get out and what do you do? Like, what's your plan? Sometimes this is your peak. What do you do if this is your peak? Maybe this is your peak. Maybe it isn't your peak. Like, they they dealt with that a little bit. But, you know, you have Quinn who's just ping-ponged all over the place and then going to Yale. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, great. That's great for her, I guess. I don't even know. Is she smart? I don't know. One would think not. <laughs> She's conniving. Tina goes to Brown, but that's in another season. And so it's just odd to me that they ha- they have this really honed-in concept about being a Lima loser. And they even play it out through shoe over a few seasons of, do I want to be a teacher? Do I want to be more than a teacher? Is this life that I, that I have, the life that I want? There's yeah. a lot of future thinking and future wondering throughout the, the, three, episodes, the three seasons that we have. And yet these kids have never heard of college. Yep. 
Um, that actually brings me kind of to a side point. This is kind of way off topic, but Glee has a tendency to equate um, manipulativeness and that kind of cleverness with intelligence, um, yeah. which I don't think is a correct way of thinking, but that seems to be Glee. So, um, I mean, I, I agree with them that, you know, Mike Chang was probably really smart and he had options and he had to figure things out. Okay. You know, that was a, that was a storyline that they had. What do you want to do? Parents pressure. Um, and I get that, you know, they're just trying to do too many things and nobody really cares about any of them going to college. For the most part, we're still in the thick of all of the drama that's happening in this particular school year. Um, but it does feel like, gosh, it would have been easy for them to have a big old whiteboard up in the writer's room that says, you know, every couple episodes, somebody mentions something about college. <laughs> Just to remember that that's a thing. They, uh, you know what? I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about Miata yet. <laughs> we'll wait. Scam school. Um, I'm sorry, Mel, what, was your, what were you going to say? Just the the college application process because it's totally different here. Is it is it in real life really such an ongoing thing throughout the entire year? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, I, there was, there's a thing called, at least when, I know we all went to college at different times, um, called early acceptance. And I had to have my application to the college I went to in September, October. Um, and I was accepted. That's the start, of, that's the start um, of your year. There, there are Early acceptance is not the only one. You can have early decision. You can have early action. You can have these are all different things. Okay. <laughs> I I used to I used to be a university admissions officer, so this is okay. Well, you're horrifying. the expert. Yeah. Why horrifying. are you letting me talk? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mind you, I'm from the Stone Age, but back in my day, you put out all the applications in the late fall, like early winter and then they went into a hole and sometime around I want to say April or so you got your letters of acceptance or decline we got ours in like January what? So that's because you did it early oh, <laughs> oh. yeah for, for those for people who would do a early action or early decision and we don't need to go into the difference between those two um usually you will hear Regardless of when you apply, you usually hear within a few months of the end date. So those who are doing it early would usually hear in January. Those of us who are doing uh, a regular decision would hear uh, late March, uh, early April. And then May 1st is is decision day. I mean, you have to have your deposit in by that date to say, this is where I'm going. Um, yeah. This this is I what know. I'm doing. It just seems like Glee could have very easily, in the first few episodes, talk about college a little bit. Say that they yep. were applying then, right? And then, like I did, just fucking forget about it. And yeah. then the letter starts yeah. showing up, and then you have all the drama. That's how okay. senior year works. Mm-hmm. Okay. So different here. Yeah. So different in terms of like, and so like, you do have to write essays for every single application? Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, Depends. I just use the same one for yeah. Well, yeah. and and like I mean, I went to a, a performing arts or not performing arts college, but like a music a college of music. So I had to audition 
Um, so that was, I didn't have to write any essays, but I did have to take myself over there and, 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 uh, audition like, Oh, by the way, like, nah, nope. You know what? I'm not talking about any other. Um, but yeah, you, you went to the college and you did your audition on their terms. They gave you a time, you showed up, you did it in a small little room and then you left. There's no yeah. will but bells and whistles about it. Um, and then again in, in January, that was a little later. I think I had my audition in the, in the spring after I had already been accepted to the college. Um, so yeah. yeah, we do it all. It's all online. So it's usually about term three of the school year. It's like one website you, for the most part, there are different courses which have different requirements. You put in your preferences. So this is where I, these are my top eight choices, they go into the system, you do all your exams, you get your results, and then after the school year's finished, so it's January the next year, you get notified by text message or whatever, hey, this is the course you've been accepted into. Yeah, that's a lot simpler, and the U.S. doesn't like to do things simple. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, like, I know that I applied before internet stuff was around, so, yeah. like... I know that I do think the kids uh, can apply online now. I mean, I, I don't. But even well, even before, like, but like, it, there wasn't. There's no essays. There's no nothing of that. It's just simply preferences. And even when I did it, it was before it was all like massively online. But the careers teacher, we had to go into the careers teacher into her computer, and she had the program, and you put your preferences in, and it was a fairly. I have to say, the essays were my favorite part of reviewing applications. Yeah. <laughs> some of them were excellent and some of them were just a terrain wreck. It was amazing. <laughs> I will say that some, uh, you know, especially community college, they pretty much let anybody in though. Like, um, yeah. I, I know with my, that's, that's the point of community college. Like let's, let's not say that with derision, that's the point of community college. I thought they let everyone into a community college. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a way that you couldn't, as long as you have a high school diploma or even, I guess you could st still be getting your high school diploma because you can take classes beforehand. Like you just go. Just, well, yeah. I mean, I, what I was going to say is there's a lot of state schools that are work that way too, that, you know, I, I mean, I know for things like, you know, Ivy League schools, it's a bit, a bit different, but for like the school that I went to, pretty much everybody got in. So all right, well, shifting gears back to the, the stories of the kids, um, something I found interesting is that, uh, you know, the, the seniors all got really the A plots, um, and most of the juniors were paired up with them, which I thought was interesting. Um, the exception is Artie, so we're going to talk about Artie first, because he is the only junior who does not really, I guess, Quinn maybe a little bit-ish, and he does hang out with the guys as a group, but he really isn't attached to any of the seniors. And I just thought that was interesting. Well, he doesn't really get attached to anyone, ever. He's part of the group, but there isn't anyone that he's truly connected to. Yeah. Even with all of the dating that he does. Not really. No. Um, this is the season he really goes into director mode, so that's kind of fun. Which I thought was a fantastic piece of his story. I really like director Artie. I think that's the yeah. only kind of Artie that I really like. Um, unless, unless director Artie's telling his, his cast members to go have sex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, director Artie's great. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, but he really, he's very, 
I mean, Artie's background the entire series, but he really doesn't have much to do in this season either. So he pines a little over sugar. He goes on a fake date with Becky and hangs out with the guys. And that's pretty yeah, much it. That's, that's the it. stuff that he's yeah. kind of getting. Right. His, his perspective in Big Brother is interesting. Like the little, the part that he gets in that episode is, is an interesting take. And it's perhaps, you know, sort of wasn't really explored with him and his his character in terms of like his situation and things like that and he's and he's like in he I'm like, I suppose like we don't want to reduce his character to his his disability to his handicap but that is a part of him and um like we never touch on that again until new new york when it's sort of him trying to deal with moving to the city and being in the chair and again, that's another really, really interesting episode for him. Um, we don't really get to explore his character in that sense, and like we get glimpses of it in Big Brother, like when Quinn's talking about, "Yeah, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm going to, you know, I'm not stuck in this chair forever." Like we get like facial expressions from him, but we don't really get to experience his actual feelings in regards to that. Um. So, kind of going off Artie. Um, we get the major, major, major storyline of this season, which is Finn and Rachel and Finchel, and they sucked up, what, about at least 50% of every episode, um, at least it felt like. They did, and yet I'm going mm-hmm. to argue, there's no story. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's no... I'm sitting here trying to remember there's... what the overarching Finchel story was, and I'm drawing a blank. There's the marriage part. Yeah. But that's not that much. I'm gonna okay. What this is how this is <laughs> this is how I define it. Which I actually because now that I've done this, like looked at this overarching thing, I kind of see what they were going for. Now whether they execute this well, we can all argue about that. But I love that I just heard the ruffling of papers. If you have a whole bunch of papers out, <laughs> that wasn't me. I oh, mean, if ever you? there was the sound of I brought receipts, that would have been. <laughs> that, I, I wasn't even me. I don't have any papers. I don't know who that was. It wasn't me. Was it Mel? She's being really quiet. I don't have papers. I wasn't. I don't know what you heard. <laughs> Did I? Am I the only one? No, oh I heard God. it too. Okay. How oh, weird. I, I, is there someone else here? Uh oh. There's ghosts. <laughs> it's the CIA. Whoa. They're listening into our. They like Glee too. Um, <laughs> they want to hear me defend Finn and Rachel for a second. <laughs> No, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but okay, you have the big story between the two of them is that you have Rachel, who is very driven, and she knows what she wants, and she's going to go off and get it, and she's got her drive, and then you've got Finn, who is just floundering and has no idea what he wants, and then kind of in the middle of the season, she kind of loses her way. She doesn't think she's going to get into Niata. And he starts to gain more confidence as Puck's trying to, like, build up his, you know, let's go out and conquer the world thing. And that's when he, you know, finds out about his dad. And then he asks her to marry him because she, he doesn't feel like he has anything else. So then they are in this engagement together. But then the more confident Rachel is about her, you know, career and whatever... So it starts to pull away, but then when she chokes, then it's like, okay, maybe we should be together. And it's this tug of war between these two people who really have very, very, very different life tracks and how they're trying to navigate that in a relationship. And God, it's boring and I hate it, but that's... Yeah, well, I mean, look at what you just laid out and how much screen time it took up. Yeah. It's not that interesting of a story. And I to me, I do appreciate 
the fact that they were consistent with the idea that there's two people in a relationship. They're going through the trials of growing up and trying to figure out who you are and what you want. And when they get to their low points, they go to the other person for love and care because they love and care that person. And the other person generally reciprocates. That's kind of okay. Yeah. But to me, seriously. Yeah. This season set up the fact for me that these two were not meant for the long term. Yeah. That, totally. that they were obviously two people very much in love who really wanted to make it work and, you know, the high school sweetheart fantasy and everything like that, but that they lacked compatibility in like significant areas, which is further developed later on. But and sort of their relationship in this season and how it's developed um, makes the original ending to the show, so how um, Ryan Murphy stated how Rachel was going to come back, it just makes it sound so incredibly unsatisfying for her oh, as a character. Because it takes me to my rage place. Yeah, I have a like I have a love hate relationship with Rachel, but the last thing I want for her would be for her and her ambitions and her drive would be to return to Lima to live out her life. She. There is nothing wrong with staying in Lima and living in Lima, but that is not for Rachel. There's nothing for her there. There's nothing for her there, whereas Lima was the right thing for Finn. Yeah. And staying there was the right thing. My big problem with their storyline this season was they hinted at two things for each of the characters that I got really excited that they were going to do, and then they didn't. So I really liked the idea of um, Finn doing something say with puck or yeah. on his own. And it's like, oh, okay. So you're, because obviously a performance career was never going to be his thing. He's yeah. not a very talented performer. It's not something that he has a lot of drive for. That's fine. You can enjoy music without being like, this is going to be my life's calling. So I really loved the idea of him, like starting a pool business or, yeah. or, you know, finding his way to Ohio state to study marketing or something. I like, I don't know. Um, but that, and so I got real angry when it was like, well, no, I'll just follow you wherever you want to go. Cause shucks, that's what I'm going to do. Like, well, that sucks. And then when I thought they were going to let Rachel fail, that she was not going to get into Niata, that she was going to fall. Like she had just, she botched it. And I really love the idea of her going, well, fuck it. You don't want me. I'm going to go to New York anyway. I'm going to make something of myself. Just you wait. And so I loved the idea of her clawing her way to the top through nothing but talent and hard work. And then they botched that too. They're like, nah, JK, we're going to let you in because why would we ever let anything bad happen to you? The thing is that Rachel's story where she works and works and works and like that would be totally fitting if she was going to audition after audition after audition. Yeah. That's not how you get into college. Right. Like I I want to see I want to see her on a series of musical theater auditions that are yes. bad bad bad. Maybe she gets into the chorus of one, but it's like super off Broadway and is only showing at the, you know, 16 seat theater above a uh, bowling alley. Like, I want to see her work for it. Yeah. And I want to see her, you know, I want to, I want to see her conquer, but through hard work. And I want to see the gritty side of it. 
but that's apparently not the story they wanted to tell. And on top of that, and it's something I didn't really think about until just now, but it, another thing they did with Rachel, which makes me even feel bad for her, is that they had to twist it so that Finn was the one shoving her off to New York, as if he is the ultimate hero of the story, sacrificing himself for Rachel's happiness. Well, you know she can't make the decision unless a dude tells her to do it. Oh my god. Barf. And I like Rachel. I really do. But the things that they do to her just make me so angry. Yeah. But it's both of their cat like I like both of that Finn and Rachel, but to get not together. No. Yeah. I just not together. There were very few moments where they are together and you think, What a great couple. Yeah. This and they're usually really those amazing. They usually were those like little silly funny moments together when um I don't know, when they're trying to throw the duets competition. Oh and god, that's one of my favorite things. That was the like, one I was thinking of. It's brilliant. Or when Finn's helping her practice her facial expressions in the mirror. Uh, yes. That's yes. Good, like those little they're they're sweet and they're lovely, but the relation like they're just the the show was just trying to shove this great love story down our throats. And all it was doing was showing us that they needed to move on from one another. Right. And I think on paper, when you, you know, with all of these, you know, changes that we've all talked about, if they had made them, like, here's a couple that are not destined to be together. Because I feel like even even when they do this with Clay a little bit, I don't like the whole destiny thing. Whatever. Yeah. Um, that's just me. But, um, you know, they kept throwing it, but, we're, you know, we'll be together someday or whatever. It, it, when you, on paper, you put it that there are these two people who loved each other in high school, who supported mm -hmm. each other in high school, but they were on different tracks. And you have Rachel kind of like failing, but going off to New York anyway without her boyfriend, without, you know, a plan. I would have been right there rooting for her. That would have been so interesting. And then Finn kind of realizing that his place is there in Lima, which we did get in season four, which I did think was interesting, you know. On paper, it's great, but then the execution of it was just a mess and took up way too much time. So yeah, they so could back have to them needing an editor. I mean, you know, not to get cranky about it, but they could have let Kurt go to Niata and let Rachel fail and have still have the two of them in New York and have her going through the paces, taking acting lessons, doing all that kind of stuff, landing the funny girl thing, and they still could have been buddy buddy in New York. Yeah. Yeah, but that way Kurt doesn't cry. Well, would have having, helped both of them. Have both of them fail and the two of them trying to take on the city together. I still wish like, that Kurt had gone into fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Kurt does everything. Yeah. True. He's a true <laughs> renaissance man. He is. But, but yeah, so kind of wrapping up the Finchel stuff because we could probably sit and have a whole podcast about this. Um, yeah. I mean, I did like... I liked when Finn failed, when he thought yeah. he was going to do something, but he didn't really, he didn't have a very realistic, realistic grasp on it. I mean, they all fail. I mean, you look at all the seniors, they all just fail. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I really did like that part of the first time when Finn mm -hmm. is like, oh, fuck, what, like, what the fuck am I going to do? Right. What and now? so it totally makes sense that they go towards each other and they cling to this other person. It doesn't make sense for the long term. You don't build a marriage off of that. But, you know, they're like 18 and stupid. See, and I think that's the point, though. One thing, you know, I know that Glee's been criticized for all of its teen marriages or whatever. But I feel like that was the point of the Finchel stuff was to say these guys are being really stupid. 
Um, yeah, no. but it wasn't very clear. That okay, true. I mean, it'd be it's. I feel like that's what they were going for, but the message got muddled. Now I have a question for you to, and, and this is kind of wrapping up this section. Do you think that Finchel would have been as prominently in our faces if Corey and Leah hadn't been dating? Probably not. Mm. Like on the show, because so I don't pay attention to actors' lives, so that was not really on my radar. Like I knew, I knew they were dating, but it's not like I'm inundated with it, so it didn't really make a difference in my viewing of it. I just throwing it out there as a question. Yeah. Glee is Glee is very susceptible to influence, outside influence. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they do not they do not build this show in a bunker, so it makes sense that some of those things bleed over in ways that I think kind of come out sideways. They have no grand plan. I mean, they really don't. Well, th- again, this series, this season in particular, is episodic. What's happening this week at McKinley? <laughs> Hopefully something that ha- paid attention to last week at McKinley. Oh, he doesn't? Fuck. <laughs> this week, they're all vampires. <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been great. <laughs> they did that. I, would, line with I, that. I was going to say, that was season one. <laughs> they did that with Tainer in season one. They can add more. Everything needs more vampires. <laughs> um, so moving down our senior list, we have we talked about Quinn a bit and her ping ponging because they talk about a character they had no idea what they wanted to do with, and for whatever reason, we don't need to speculate the actor's life part of it. But you know, who knows what de- what happened with Diana because uh, the poor girl got sh- the short end of the stick. Well, she got screen time. Yeah, but she it was noise. never any good. Yeah, but here's the thing. We have Quinn. I mean, I knew girls like this in high school. They're all repressed and tied down, and they have a very, very, very tight social way that they are allowed to be from their upbringing. And then, you know, there's one little crack, and then there's a flood, and they go through every possible experience they can within six months, and then they kind of level out. And I feel like Quinn was still doing that in some ways throughout season three. Um, So I believe it because you see her. These are her awkward teenage years, right? There's her, her younger upbringing and who she's trying to be. And then her kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And then in the end, she's walking and she's going to Yale. And she'll have her experimental college years and then get married to probably not Puck and have a couple more babies and be okay. Yeah, she's going to marry Biff or whatever. (laughs) No, she dumped him. There'll be another Biff. (laughs) She's going to marry Hunter Clarington V. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, She probably marries dad. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's probably accurate. Um... I mean, look, they even have her. When she goes to college, she's fucking the professor. Like, mm-hmm. she is all of those things. So there is some continuity. It's just madness. Yeah. I, I do like that they... I feel... Mm-hmm. Quinn, after the season, is a, a reoccurring guest star. And I think that that works best for her character. Um, yeah. I think that they did a decent job of wrapping her up. In this season, in a way that a lot of the other, obviously, because they're going on, characters didn't get wrapped up. 
Um, she's going to, she goes through all of this craziness and then she gets into Yale and that's her story. That's, she lives happily ever after. I will say this about Quinn because the actress who played her is very pretty. Glee thought, well, if you put her with any other romantic pairing, it's going to be fabulous because she's pretty. And so pretty and pretty makes interesting. And by the time we got to season three, you know, I was one of those people who I was the Quinn dependence person because I was tired of her, you know, making out with the hunk of the week because Mm -hmm. I don't care about any of those things. None of those relationships are meaningful. It's a very truthful teenage story, but they're not meaningful and they're not really worth the screen time. Sorry, Joe or whoever else there was in season three. There's so many I can't remember. But like at that point, I was just really, really bored with her love storylines and they didn't serve her any purpose that's why the santana thing in season four is just it pops i mean it's a one-off thing and that helps but oh there's something new so yeah i mean that's one of the that's one of the places where they put two pretty people together and something worked well but i think also something just worked well you know the, the actresses were able to get to i think they were probably both better at their craft um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. <sighs> well, moving on to, from Quinn to Puck, because the storyline, Puck, Puck is another character who, even though they brought him back more, because I'm pretty sure Mark Selling had nothing better to do, um, <laughs> he, um, he gets his story kind of wrapped up too. And I, I mean, he, he graduates, and he actually has this whole storyline about, is he going to graduate, and trying to graduate, and despite the fact that I can't stand the whole, like, teacher, sleeping with a teacher thing in the beginning of it, for the most part, I think the whole second half of the season works for him. Him yeah, struggling to graduate is super realistic, played funny, not taking up too much screen time, done well. I thought it yeah. was an interesting storyline. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. they use it. They use it to give us the scene where Finn has the whiteboard with the plan uh, yes. <laughs> and Blaine's behind a bear yeah. and it's got a time. It's got a, a time that says like Puck will be there at 2.30 and then it's like equals four o'clock, which means Puck's going to be an hour and a half late. Like, and they're <laughs> planning all this stuff. That is a very, very, very good use of his story. Well, and I think on uh, adding to that. For reasons, I'm going to guess because it was pretty much almost, it's, I know it wasn't completely um, an all-male writer group, um, the this little scenes they got with all of the guys, or even just sometimes Puck and Finn, really worked pretty well. They were a lot of funny little moments, um, and, and there was some sentimental, like, you know, we're going to, things are going to change, and I feel like the writers were much better than that at that than any time they tried to do anything that was mostly all women-oriented. They've That's always true. been better at writing male characters than they were at ever contemplating that women had interior lives. Well, uh, Puck and Finn, you know, those actors have a chemistry together. Yeah. And th- and yeah. that came across. Yeah. Um, Glee is good at, at writing bromance. They're terrible at heterosexuals or just women. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but also with the, the Puck, like the we talked about it in the props episode. His stuff with Beast in that episode was fantastic. So oh, yeah. he got he got a really solid, like we just won't talk about the first half of the season because that was gross. Um, and, um, but the second, yeah, the second half was, was 
top-notch start. Like, it was solid and it worked well for his character and it made sense. The and thing is, the, the first half of the season isn't out of character for Puck. It makes total sense. The only thing terrible about the first half of the season is that Shelby goes along with it. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's been yeah. on Cougar Patrol the entire time. Yeah. Look at... <laughs> Puck, though, with Coach Beast and compare that to Will yeah. and, and Finn and how yeah. there there's an actual mentor relationship with Beast and, and Puck and kind of having each other's back, but they're not in a creepy way where, where it, yeah. So. And that's, I mean, like, that's the thing. Um, you know, in the second half of the season, Puck, he had, there was issues with his father, there was the struggles with his school, and... Surprise, surprise, Teacher of the Year, Will Schuster, is not the one there helping his student who is clearly struggling. <laughs> like, Will isn't really helping any of the, oh, whatever. He's, only, he's helping Finn. He's making he sure doesn't that even he, help Finn. He doesn't even, like, yeah, he doesn't really help Finn. He's just Finn. staring at him in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> he's attempting to help Finn. Well, maybe, maybe it's all in his grand plan to make sure that Finn stays in Lima. <laughs> Well, because if Finn leaves, he won't have any more friends. Exactly. Um, that would have been an interesting storyline. They should have done that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have Will just, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Sabotage. Have Will sabotage <laughs> anything that Finn tries to do to get out. So, like, yeah. when he realizes that he's not going to play football for Ohio State, have Will poke around the court and be like, my plan has worked. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a much more interesting use of him, and I would watch that show. Yeah. Um, getting back to, to Puck, though, to, to wrap these two, Quinn and Puck have, you know, here's the thing. I, I was kind of surprised. I actually had a message because um, I was like, oh, Quinn and Puck, whatever, when I was doing my rankings, whatever, it's another storyline. And I actually had somebody come to me saying, um, you know, I just want you to know there are Quinn and Puck fans out there, and we really enjoy the little bits of, you know, that we got throughout the years. And I was like, what? Where is I didn't even know this was a thing, but um, apparently I think that the uh, Quinn and Puck might have been um, slightly fan servicey to the five or six individuals that are out there that really enjoy them. <laughs> of all the people that Quinn dates, Puck is the best pairing. Yeah, it's the most interesting story. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's history. They play off each other well. Um, of all the people Puck dates. Lauren, clearly. But of all the people Quinn dates, Puck is the best one. I think Puck Puck gets Quinn. I see both of these characters. I see the two of them as people that they have, um, like, self-worth issues and, and, you know, sort of I think that they kind of support each other. And in, like, really important time, like, Puck has some, like, really sweet moments, like after Beth was born, um, what he said to her in – I kissed a girl about like believing that she would get out of Lima and she never thought that about herself. Um, but I like, I never really had many feelings in regards to them, but I thought, I thought they were kind of cute together. I think they have a, you know, they have a great shared connection and they have a meaningful relationship and they don't have to be together forever. And that's fine. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, and we don't even get that togetherness until season I mean, here they're just, um, it's just kind of flirting with the romance thing because they're leaving and they meant something to each other. And let's hold mm -hmm. on to that one last feeling one more time before we go off in different directions, which I think is kind of nice too. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on to our next senior, uh, we have Mike. 
who is obviously coupled with Tina. And Tina's really pretty much a supporting character in Mike's story. Mike, it's nice that Mike gets a story. It's nice that they remembered that he was a character. Um, he got just enough carry story for the amount of character that we remembered he was over the years. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to all of a sudden have a multi-episode arc. We, right. It popped in. It made sense. His story, I thought, was was well executed. And we moved on. Yeah. It was great. He was never built. He was dancing. Yes, he was never meant to be a major player in in the club in the show. So you know the fact that he did get a storyline was great because cool we get a little bit more of Mike and then we're happy with that. I do think we learned some things about Tina as well. Yeah, as much as you can say someone can learn something about Tina because Tina is a character who they decided who she was from time to time. Yeah. Well, that's. I guess I have two different thoughts in my head. With Mike, I'm I'm sad that he did get a little bit in Goodbye, but it's in a deleted scene. He would have had a nice little character arc in season three. They wrap him up. He doesn't come back, really. Uh, you know, the choices they made, except for Mercedes, the choices they made about axing the seniors, I, I agree with. Um, and Mike, as much as I, I like him, I like the actor, I... What, just his story was never more than that background, and yeah. it was time to move on from that. So, and like it never needed to be more than the background. I think that yeah. a problem the that we face was we expected characters we like to have major plot lines, and it doesn't make sense for all of the characters to be major characters because then you end up with way too many things that you're trying to pay attention to. And mm-hmm. so I think that they they didn't all need major moments. He got what he needed to get. It was interesting. It was cute. And like we had said before, let's move on. Mm. And then we have Tina, who gets oh. a couple of nice moments here and there. I mean, I really like her, her conversation in the first time, um, when she's talking about having sex for the first yeah. time, but then it's kind of like, hey, we're going to remember that Tina's here. Let's just shit all over her and whatever. It's not about her. It's about Rachel. Mm-hmm. That was well, hard. I've been, I've, I've been through that that episode rant, so I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to ignite this fire. <laughs> and we don't need to. I mean, really, it's on <laughs> the Prop Nationals. Guys, you can listen to it again because it will be out by the time this comes out. We really don't need to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> insult like okay cool Tina doesn't need to have massive massive storylines each week but if you are going to give her one give her a fucking story and don't do what you did to her because that was just awful and horrible and Tina like shit oh just the service to Rachel in that episode is probably one of the major reasons why I have issues with Rachel's character um and it's just she did deserve more. And then they just kept – she never really got anything after that, did she? Because it was all about her obsession with Blaine in season four and then it was – did she ever actually really get a solid storyline? No. Not really. I think it was more – she got more screen time and maybe more character yeah. development in moments. But 
I was going to say, you know, throw this out there. What do we think of? Here's Tina seasons one through three. Does her season four change make sense looking at what we have of her here? Well, possibly. I mean, because if you'd been, you know, you, it's going to be your year, Tina. It's going to be your year, Tina. And then it's not. I'd probably turn into a salty bitch as well. Yeah. It was very believable. So <laughs> thinking like at the time, at the time watching it, I remember thinking, what is going like, what? But now sort of hindsight, it's like, well, you know what? Um, I kind of get like that when I'm completely done with things as well. So maybe it's not so out of character <laughs> to sort of. Well, and then Mike's going to dump her and, and, and there's right. no, there's no tension between them the whole year. There's no drama, but no. you know, it's all background. Um, do you guys, this is, this is a side tangent real quick. I, there was this, um, was it Paley Fast? It was this interview with the whole cast or whatever. And they're like, they, they were talking to the two actors and they're like, Mike and Tina, and you guys have been together the longest. And Chris and Darren were like, what? Wait, what? But it's true. I mean, they, you just did, you forgot about it, but they had been together since the beginning of season two. They had the longest ongoing relationship of anybody, any other couple on the show. With no break, and they had a good relationship. Yes, we didn't have to pay attention to it, so it was allowed <laughs> to be fun. You got that. You got like the funny little moments about chicken feet and salad and and things like that. But and the really sweet stuff during the first time, and yeah, you know the the, the meddling during Asian F. I mean, it was still like, you know, it was a nice relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what they think of nice relationships. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm surprised the it was allowed to last this. as long as it did. Probably because they forgot about it. Probably. Probably. Um, moving right along, we get Santana and Brittany. Man, the way the show, as I read in my notes, <laughs> failed Brittany, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> Brittany. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure this is the season, right? They forget she's a character for like, I don't know, five or six episodes in the middle. She doesn't speak. Um, uh-huh. They for completely forget that she's a senior. And it, I don't think they really remember until the end. They're like, oh, wait a minute. What are we going to do with Brittany? We haven't done any storylines with her. Let's keep her back with this other group. It might be more interesting. But wait, wait, for that, she has to run a dinosaur prom because she's done absolutely, <laughs> nothing. She's done absolutely nothing with her presidency. So... Let's do that. Let's ban hair gel at the school prom. That will be her storyline. You know, I don't actually have an issue with her storyline being uh, chaotic and odd because it's true to the character. So it's the most fitting that she pops up and has a dinosaur prom, doesn't speak certain times. Like, she is irreverent and she is just out there so the fact that she doesn't have this clear character arc throughout the season isn't really that big of a deal for me um it is problematic for me that there should be an arc there should be a romance arc with santana that it didn't really work for me mm. um santana had some character stuff going but you would think that Brittany and santana together would have been something more than what 
was achieved on the show. I feel like Britannia was always something that they were like, the fans really like this. We have to put this mm-hmm. in there. And they didn't really develop it much other than we have to do this. I think it was, we need lesbians. Oh, these are very pretty. Let's get some pretty lesbians. I think that, to me, they were born out of fandom. Like, so we got snippets of them, like there was that that episode in season one about the, when Brittany says, well, if that were the case, then Santana and I would be dating or having, I can't remember the exact quote. I don't think they were ever really meant to be one of the big couples on the show um, that perhaps, you know, starting off with these sort of low-key moments. Um, but I think fandom response to that, and, you know, fair enough, we want representation and all of that, I think it was the fandom response which resulted in them becoming more prevalent as a couple towards the end of season two and in this season. Um and I agree. I think that it was fandom response. And they couldn't do for Barry. So this is no. what, what they had. Right. And in this particular season, like, I was pretty sort of, you know, ambivalent potentially because the writers didn't that much to play with or maybe because I just at this point didn't quite see what the Britannia shippers saw, like in terms of chemistry and that sort of stuff. I for this season, particularly in the first half, like I saw, still saw Santana is like far too manipulative of things, like what she was doing with Rory to to work a situation and to manipulate Brittany for me to completely support them. That changed as the show went on um, that I um, sort of by the end of it, it's like, okay, yes, I can see these two as a couple. But at this particular point in this season, I don't think that their cup, their relationship was developed well enough on the writer's behalf for me to sort of go, yeah, I really care about this. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I was ambivalent for a lot of it too. Yeah. Well, I think that's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Arby. No, I mean, I kind of feel like Brittany works, like we were talking about earlier, some characters are meant to be smaller characters and be absurd and pop in and out. And I kind of feel like, for me, Brittany works better as a side character who gets to stay absurd and isn't expected to have massive amounts of growth and can pop up with things like, hey, I wrote this report on your dad's heart attack in crayon. Yeah. Um, And so all the times that they're trying to make Brittany deeper or make the storylines more serious it doesn't it doesn't work for me for that character Mm -hmm. so i mean even with her as you know with her and santana or as Britanna, or um as anything other than oh i'm just throwing this dinosaur prom it just doesn't work for me i like i like absurd britney and absurd Britney is best in small doses. To be fair, there really isn't a whole lot of Britney anyway. I mean, there's not, which is weird because there's a lot of Santana and she should have at least come along with that. Yeah. Maybe I mean, it just San- felt Santana's like it's coming because out I'm episodes. not a big Santana fan either. But even in the episodes that are big about Santana, we don't see linkage 
to Brittany. And even when Santana comes out, we don't even get hear anything from Brittany. We hear right. things from Finn. Mm-hmm. Which is... <laughs> which might be strange how the way that I'm remembering it. Because it feels like there was more. And apparently there wasn't in reality. Which is they very nice to each other and very, very pretty. The one thing they did get, I, I didn't particularly like because the amount of manipulation it was involved, was the yeah. Saturday Night Gleaver stuff where Santana wants to be famous and Britney, you know, decides to put their sex tape online. And... Yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, I appreciate that kind of manipulation as opposed to Santana's manipulation. Britney's sex yep. tape with the Lord Tubbington cleaning the house. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was she was, ooh, she was actually trying to help Santana in that situation, whereas at the start of the season, Santana was manipulating that situation for herself. Yeah. And I think Britney honestly thought she this was help. doing something good. Which clearly she was, because, I mean, it sounds like a very interesting tape. It worked for Kim Kardashian. So (laughs) why wouldn't it work for Santana? Yeah. Well, and moving on to Santana's individual storyline. Again, if it's not Finn or Rachel with the seniors, they just don't know what to... It doesn't seem like they knew what they really wanted to do. Because Santana is just all over the place. She's... Awful at the beginning of the season, and it's kind of tied up with her coming out, and then she comes out, and then she kind of fades in the background for a while, and then they remember that she's a senior. Um, but then I was I think it was Snarky, you and I were talking about how like some of her better moments, like in the Spanish teacher, are in these really bad episodes, and it's unfortunate. So much of her good stuff is in terrible episodes. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible episodes, <laughs> and she's doing great. In the, okay, the Spanish teacher is not again it is not a bad episode it is well constructed it makes total sense and there's a theme it all works really well the only thing that's wrong with the spanish teacher is that the spanish teacher in my opinion is the exposition where we discover that will has been the villain this entire time but glee is trying to convince us that that's not what's happening even though that's what we're seeing so what the fuck is going on which I have to say, hearing that when I heard that the first time has opened my eyes and it was like the clouds parting. It was like, oh, yeah, shit, this is what's happening. We've been deluded the entire time. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I don't hate the Spanish teacher as much as some people do. I find it charmingly bad. Sure. <laughs> I, the thing that I think is a problem, and it's kind of, it, it actually goes all the way through the end of the series. They don't know, they don't give Santana focus. She never gets a, you know what, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And not that you need that, but I feel like in a story setting where you're telling the story, there should be an end point. And Santana is just left kind of lingering through the entire series. Have, yeah, and, like, and she doesn't. She doesn't, she doesn't get a rock, a, like a, a pro, like similar to Kurt. The, the end of the season, it's still quite open for her because, like, she'd been accepted into college, but then she's like, no, I'm going to go to New York, and her, her mother gives her the money. But there's ne- there's no real – then when we come to the next season, she's in Kentucky. Um, she doesn't get that wrap-up, um, and she's left, um, left open at the end. We don't know what's going on with her. Santana is a really great character to put into a group dynamic – to stir mm-hmm. the pot a little bit, let people react to, sort of have around. 
-hmm. And she can have some really interesting stuff about herself. But I do think that her story, her storylines that involve Brittany aren't as good, sadly. And her storylines where she's the only sane man in the room because we're in the upside down come in episodes that aren't very enjoyable to watch. But I mean, if you look at the way Santana changes into Santana within the choir room has a place and a purpose and she's really great at it. I mean, she's beyond just saying the word wanky. She Mm -hmm. is really fantastic at moving a group dynamic along in a particular way and, and, and having certain things to say. If you see the way she worked out when she moves to the loft in New York in season four, it's like, Oh, great. They -hmm. were missing this kind of thing. Right. She has some things that can be really good, but her character isn't a main character and she's not a background character. She's that in between thing. And it's just, they just didn't, they couldn't quite do it right. Mm -hmm. She's not simple enough for them to be able to just nail it. She's more complicated, but she's not going to get enough screen time or story arc in a way. I mean, if you look at the story arc she gets, they're all like, you just want to bash your head into the wall. Because, you know, her character does all this really interesting growth set in all these really terrible episodes. It's like we're never supposed to really identify with her as a human. Um, But identifying with her as a human, I think, is part of what makes her becoming a more interesting character. So season, season three is just sadly a disservice to Santana. I can understand also, I do think they they had some pressure um, to have Santana because you know, to develop her as a lesbian character and I think that is an important road to go down and at least explore if you're going to like tease it. But I think that they were always out of their element. I just feel like, okay well we'll do this, you know, thing but because they have strength and other places they just never had a good handle on it and Santana got a lot of screen time because in season 3 they realized oh my god she can really sing Mm -hmm. so she was around a lot but why and then you think about the episodes that matter to her and they're not great episodes or the episodes that matter to her are actually about Will and Finn what the fuck (laughs) Well, we can't have too much focus on ladies because no one really wants to have any focus on ladies and they don't have actual internal lives. Because if we're focusing if we're focusing on ladies and the show can't teach us what it means to be a man. It's true because being a man has mm-hmm. nothing to do with any of the ladies around you. They're just no, a distraction. A distraction I tell like, you. I, am I wrong? But I can't remember a time when Santana was in Emma's office. I don't think so. Not that she would go for help, but I can't remember a time. I want to say the quarterback, but that's a whole different set of circumstances. Yeah, so so I don't want to like really a time when she even has linkage to like a grown up. You know, the lady from the Miami Sound Machine shows up at the end and gives her a check, and that's the only sense of a grown up that we. Quinn, Quinn, Brittany, and Santana's Emma was Sue. Like, yeah. so there was that. But, I mean, she doesn't even get to do much as 
head Cheerio or anything yeah. because Quinn's still there and Becky is taking the other half of Sue's attention and Brittany is going to be more associated with Coach Ross in season four. And it, so, yeah, there's no... Santana and Sue's relationship is interestingly played out in later seasons, but not really anything here. Yeah. Sue had a moment, you know, she could have had her Burt Hummel moment with Santana and she didn't really flesh that out and that would have been better. But Santana's no, she's nobody's favorite. Not even Sue's favorite. Sad. Mm. Well, moving on to um, other people who should be more favorited and who really weren't. Um, It's time to get into Mercedes and we can kind of tie in Sam with that as well, but um, talking about Mercedes and the fact that they at least gave her a vision, but they really felt, it felt to me like they didn't want to put in the time to really develop it. I mean, you know, it's funny. Each time we start a new character, I realize we're just complaining about all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put a disclaimer on this. We haven't even gotten no, any stuff yet. We've got nothing good to say. Um, I'm trying to remember all the things. Well, with Mercedes in the first part of the season, you've got her struggle with, you know, Will kind of coming down on her, and she wanting she wanted to do her own stuff. She so she goes to be a part of the Trouble Tones, but that kind of gets taken over by Santana and Brittany. So she's still shoved aside by that. There's the stuff about you know West Side Story and her not getting that, and then they kind of you know she gets the Sam stuff throughout the middle of the season where she has to choose between Sam and Shane, but that kind of fizzles out into nothing. And then she's got the ending stuff where she's got the ending stuff where. It's about her going off in, into L.A. to do, do music and, and be a vocalist, but they don't really give her any attention. It's just kind of a background plot line. She, I wrote, she was buried beneath Rachel Berry. She was. <laughs> or, or they yeah. used her in ways that I thought were offensive to who she was as a character. Yeah, she's, they, like you at know. The, start of, the start of the season, she's not lazy. No. Um, <sighs> Like, she's just been set aside for however many years. And, like, I don't know why the writers kept insisting on sort of playing this diva card with her because she is so much more than that. Yes, wanting to be a star is part of her character, but that was the same for Rachel and that was the same for Kurt. And they were never really punished. They weren't punished for wanting that, whereas she was. Um, in terms of, like, what happened towards the start, like Will's whatever it was that he was doing with her at the start of the season and things like that. Um, And so, yeah, I thought that that was a little bit unfair. So, I mean, season three is just unfair to her. It's, like, just microaggressions throughout Mm -hmm. or worse. And then, you know, we have that bit in Saturday Night Gleaver where, Will remembers that there's more than just Finn that mm-hmm. that he can, I don't know, mentor now or something. And really yeah. all he does is kind of get in the way and he does. make it but difficult. Is, and, yeah, I just... With that story in, in Saturday Night Gleaver, like her fear about leaving her home and not knowing where to go, like as we talked about earlier with all the college stuff, could have really been explored. Like, you know, that was the same sort of position. Like Finn was kind of there have the two of them playing off each other. Um, You know, even though he didn't really help him, it was made to look like she was trying to help Finn more. Um, And she also mentioned in that episode that 
her father didn't support her dream. Like her dad didn't support the idea that she wanted to be a singer, similar to that as Mike. You know, where is why that couldn't have been developed and played off each other a little bit more um, instead of sort of being a puppet in a Rachel Berry story. Yeah. I don't think the writers ever realised the kind of magic that they had in Riley. Oh, I I, I agree. They didn't. And, you know. And funny. I I will say that the first time I kind of sat through the – the series, I didn't really notice Mercedes and I feel bad about it, but I mean, like, you know, all this stuff was going on and and Mercedes was kind of there. And it's not until I started doing, you know, talking to more people in fandom and really looking at, and I'm like, there is a really, really amazing character here. It's probably the one female on the show that I feel like I can relate to the most, even though I don't know if I can relate to any of them really that well, but like, she's got so many interesting things going on. And I think, you know, the writers just talk about out of their element. They just didn't know what to do with her, except for play her off of Rachel Berry. And because she's not dramatic in a way where she's not causing trouble, when she gets trouble from Will, it just feels off. Mm. Well, it's very obvious that he's picking on her. Yeah. It's like you're you're being a bully to her. Why are you doing this? You're an adult. You should know better. Stop it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you didn't already kind of dislike Will, the beginning of season three really solidifies Oh, it. yeah. Well, it's like, why, why, why would you... You have this fabulous performer in your midst. Who is this sweet and kind and, like... Team player. Yeah. yeah. Who... Yeah, she's she's there for the team, and um and the thing like in terms of like her actual character, I don't think you've ever, I don't think I've ever come across any sort of part of fandom where they dislike Mercedes. Like with all the other major players, you know, you've got issues and concerns and things like that. But I think she's sort of she's very well received and she's very well liked by everyone, and that could have been built upon more. Well, here you have on this show of very complex kind of sparring off each other people, competitive people, you get this character who is not competitive and not loud and still, you know, a diva in the sense that she is confident, uh, you know, uh, in in her outside self, Um, but she's very sensitive and sweet in the inside. And I get the impression that's not really who the writers, you know, were. They, They just... How do you take this character who is very sweet and really develop her? She's competitive, but on mm-hmm. merit. She's comp- yeah. She's nice. She's she's like, well, I'm I'm just as good. I can do this thing, and I don't have to be overly dramatic. I don't have to stir the pot for all these things. I my merit is good enough, which is what's frustrating was when Will tries to say that. She's not good in all these different ways. But, you know, you look at her merit and what she does for the team, and he's just wrong. Mm. And she, like we've spoken about, like she she makes the characters around her better people. So, like, yes, like when she and Rachel are working, like they're supporting each other and they're being kind to each other. So I'm thinking, like, 
in Prom Queen and in season five. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. But when they're setting them up against each other, so like oh, two girls, they've got to they've got to play against each other. They can't be, they just can't be friends because apparently that doesn't exist. It doesn't work. Well, and kind of tying this in with Sam, look at her. You know, she gets a boyfriend at the beginning of the season, which go Mercedes getting a boyfriend who supports her and adores her. Shane is a very good guy, it seems like. He's the best boyfriend on the show. There isn't anybody who behaves yeah. better as a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Sam, Sam compliant, perfect boyfriend. <laughs> Sam's pretty, I mean, yeah, he's going to go after her, but like at the same time, you know, she sets the rules and the limits and the boundaries, and then she's the one that says, ultimately, you know what, I can't hurt both of you, or either of you, I'm going to take a step back and think about me, and it's just, that, that's, it's wonderful. it's wonderful, so it's a little wise. bittersweet in that she doesn't it's get refreshing. a major storyline, but yeah, it's refreshing because she gets to not deal with all the drama all the rest of the couples have to go through, so. I mean, she has drama it's just different. it's a different kind of drama it's charming in a way i just i just want her to win i just yeah. i want good things to happen to mercedes she's the type of person who the type of character who i look at on screen and go i just want good things to happen to you well in the, by the end of the series you know spoiler alert she wins the world because she's going on tour with beyonce out of yeah. all of them she won she won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she she deserved to win. Yep. Yep. Um, let's talk about Sam real quick, because he wasn't in the first eight episodes because of contract disputes, and they bring him back. And I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that it's more interesting bringing him back in? I think later on in seasons, he's more an interesting character, but... I think he's adorable. Mm-hmm. I really liked that we got to hear Summer Nights, and it wasn't about Finn and Rachel. So mm-hmm. their their version of Summer Nights was fabulous. I think he has one of the best lines of the season, which is, I won't stop till it's trending. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't need more of him than I got, but when he showed up, he was solid. It was great. Yeah. I don't know why they never had him sing a country song, but, you know, that's fine. He's adorable. Yeah. I mean, I do he... want to know: is he living at the Hummel House or not? What's happening? <laughs> well, that's you can fill in that one however you want. I don't. I don't necessarily get the whole. Well, Sam's what's going to save us for sectionals. I don't necessarily. No, that's think totally he's, stu- he's that much it, of that's a player. Not a thing. But I was glad that they did bring him back because he was a valid addition to that that group. And like, and like to playing off Mercedes, he he's he's kind and he's compassionate and he's just a really great solid guy and well, he's a he's a great support for yes, us. Yes. Yeah. You know, we don't get a lot of so it's very rare to have the man in a heterosexual relationship be portrayed as the support character. Quite often we have the the woman having to be the man's support. So it was a really nice change for for Glee to be like, you know, he's he's a solid support character. And she is the type of character who's going to have her name in light. Obviously, she goes on tour with Beyonce because she's amazing. Because mm-hmm. she wins the world. She does. And, and Sam I go is see a that great tour. character to be like, you know what, I'm going to 
keep the home fires burning. I'm going to, you know, what do you need? I can make that happen. And he gets satisfaction and pleasure out of turning that light so that it's on her. And I love that they did that because that's not something that we see enough of. Right. Yeah. And he's someone who, unlike the Glee Project people, you add him into the choir room. It works. Mm -hmm. We don't need more. We don't want less. Right. It works. Right. Yeah. As you guys were saying, or as we were talking about before, there are certain characters that they work on this level of, you know, they're, you know, you're going to trot them out. They'll be part of a storyline, but they're not going to be the full storyline. And they did a good job with balance of Sam um, and using him when they needed to, but then he went in the background when he needed to. And that's always been kind of consistent. They, they've always done, even if his personality didn't seem to really develop until season four, um, I, I think that they did a decent job with him. See, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I think his personality started from the beginning. He was yeah, I just thought he was, a, he was always a very distinct character. He was always exactly who he was. He wasn't, he wasn't going to put anybody else down. He was just going to be decent and good, a little bit stupid, a little bit charming, and, you know, just sort of like all around, kind of like, like a, he's just he's a, just good a warm guy. feeling. He's a warm yeah. feeling with, with some goofy jokes in what most people consider to be a very hot package. All so, right. Well, I'll agree no, I take it. Yeah, no, I right. It's not my thing. It's not my thing, but I am glad that Mercedes got who was considered <laughs> the person who was considered to be like the hottest boy in school. Give that fucker to Mercedes. Well, and I like that he didn't have it. Like he didn't go back to Quinn. He went straight for Mercedes. I love that. Those uh-huh. like, you know, I'm not going to go for the hot girls or whatever. He didn't care about Santana and Brittany. He does have more feelings for, but not, I mean, but he always goes back to Mercedes. And I love that. He knows quality when he sees it. So we get to the claim portion of this podcast. Claim! <sighs> I just feel better. I feel like I'm more in my comfort zone now. And like after talking about all that stuff that was not claim, um, I may be grumbly, but I'm in a better grumbly mood. <laughs> 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 Maybe because it's just for later. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Let's start with Kurt here, who... Here's my thing. We can't start with Kurt. We can't start with Kurt? What, do you want to start with Blaine? Yeah, Blaine's a secondary character. All right, we'll start with Blaine. Blaine. (laughs) Fine, we will start with Blaine. Certainty has spoken. (laughs) She's not wrong. (laughs) I've never said she was wrong. (laughs) I'm wrong sometimes. This is my elder wisdom. I think Snarky is the wisest one in this room. (laughs) I'm in my room by myself. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the figurative room. Okay. That's better. So Blaine. So Blaine. Let's talk about Junior Blaine. (laughs) Pocket size Blaine. Yeah. Junior Blaine. (laughs) All right, Snarky, go ahead. Kick it off. (laughs) Oh, I didn't. I have to talk about everything. <laughs> okay, um, fine, I will. So as we were talking about the secondary characters, Blaine is someone who we were all really ready for him to be a full frontal character. Wait, that sounded weird. To be a fully fleshed out 100% level of character as some of their top tier characters. And he's still growing into a place where he's not just 
I hate to say Kurt's sidekick, but someone who Kurt Hummel is the is the is the middle point, and then the people within his universe are Bert and Carol. Actually, sometimes more so than for Finn. That's sad. And Blaine is Blaine is like Bert. He's someone who exists because of Kurt. He has a he has a place to be because of that, and he's not independent in his own way. He doesn't have very much characterization. Aside from a few episodes, which are fabulous. Um, the Big Brother episode, obviously, fabulous. Mm-hmm. The thing that was, I think, frustrating for season three for Blaine is that he sang so goddamn much, but he didn't ever do anything. <laughs> so we had to try and come up with, who do we think he is? And I really Clearly, we I... think he's the best boyfriend in the world, because he and Shane were neck and neck when Shane was around. There was another better boyfriend at that time. But who is he beyond just the boyfriend? I think Glee was still figuring that out. I think that the actor himself tried to come up with what that was for all of the very many background moments. Um, But Blaine, I think, is the best possible example of something that really challenged what was happening on Glee in season three, which is we have a great song. We're going to sing the fuck out of this song. It's going to be so fun. It doesn't have anything to do with any of the stories, but it's like a top 10 hit and we're going to sell we're going to sell songs. Cuz Blaine sold songs. Blaine mm. started to outpace the Rachel numbers. Mm-hmm. And he was around and he was around and look at his outfit and isn't he cute and he's singing again and he's singing again and he's going to go make hard eyes at Kurt. But we were so ready for there to be more that when you look back at season three there's a real lack of who he is and were it not for the Blaine the very special episodes that we get about Blaine we wouldn't really know anything we have the first time we have Big Brother we have Dance with Somebody and I can't think of another one in season three where he actually has a story where we see his characterization beyond what Kurt thinks he is or what we think he is. You don't count Michael in that? Oh, Michael. Oh. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't I, get you know to what? be... I, I'm not going to count Michael because no. he all he is, he's a white knight in Michael and we don't see his agency. We don't see him upset about the fact that that happened to him, that it was even, or that it was going to happen to Kurt. You know, we see him a little bit displeased with the Warblers, um, but not in a way that tells us anything about him as a person. Um, what Michael is missing is a scene where we find out how Blaine feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that in the beginning of the season, they tried a little bit to give Blaine something to do with um, that whole stuff with Finn, but it's yeah. so utterly underdeveloped that it's kind of forgettable. You kind of forget that it was even there. Um, there are bits and pieces that fandom has interestingly put together over the years, and I can see the thought process and I can see the story there, even though the second half is really tied more in with Clayne, so I'll put a pin in that. But there, after the whole that, you're right, there's not much development 
outside of his relationship or the few couple times we get to see him as a real character. Now, I do think it's interesting that they take those issues with the writing and they turn them into character flaws for season four. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. I do think that Blaine's character story makes sense, especially as you see the whole piece of it, because also he's a teenager and he's going to mm-hmm. be dealing with some teenager things for sure. Um, but that actually, you know, Blaine's characterization is something that we desperately wanted more of. And we got it very little in the songs, but mostly just in the background moments. Yeah. Like we had, you know, like the favorites, the favorites in season one, they were background people and we clamored for more and then something else happened. Um, and Blaine had that. And then additionally, he had moments in his relationship that caused him to have more screen time, more character driven screen time. I mean, I think it says a lot that when they switched bodies and props, Blaine went into Puck, mm-hmm. who is a secondary character. You know, Curtin, Curtin Finn switched. Rachel and Tina switched. And there's all those others, you know, all in the, the... But they aren't the real people that you think about. And so Blaine was absolutely an accessory. See, and I'm going to... I'm going to throw out my, accessory, my unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think I know where this um, is going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was not somebody who was clamoring for more Blaine characterization. Um, just like I... I contend that he never should have transferred to McKinley in the first place. Um, I believed then, and I would make the argument now that I think he worked best as a part of Kurt's storyline and not as yet another character um, that they had to flesh out. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Blaine. He is a darling cupcake. He is precious. And you know, what happened with him is great and normal and fine. But if I had been writing it, I I would have kept him as a secondary character just because there was there was already so many characters. And well, there's season three then. Yeah. <laughs> you must have really liked it. I disagree post season three. Like I I love the development that we got past season three with Blaine and fleshing him out and making him as equal a character as Kurt made it very compelling. At least I think that those storylines going forward are very interesting, but here it doesn't work. And everybody can disagree with me. I mean, I'm fully aware that I am way to the far of everybody else in fandom. (laughs) That's okay. That's why we're here. I'm perfectly okay. Holding down that side of the fort. Um, but he he's a darling cupcake, but if I had been writing it, he would have stayed at Dalton. Um, and he he wouldn't have ended up as a major character. But again, I when I think of Glee, I think of seasons one through three. Mm-hmm. I think that Darren and and by proxy Blaine was just too popular that it was never gonna be like Oh yeah. I, fu- I fully understand the reasons why it happened. 
Doesn't mean that I wasn't angrily yelling at people while it was happening. <laughs> Seriously, I almost threw something at the TV when he transferred. Now, interestingly, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I guess we can talk about claim last because that's that ties in with the claim stuff. I don't know, Mel, you've been really quiet for a while. Do you want to say anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I mean, on the point of him, like, lots of screen time, but it was insubstantial this season. Um, and for the most part, for season three, I can look back on it and go, you know what, I am kind of okay with that because, look, I'm just, I will just enjoy listening to him sing whatever he wants to sing. Um, and... If, if they were going to build up his character more in season three, if that was going to be at a cost of, say, Kurt or what we got of Mercedes and things like that, that wouldn't have worked because he's still got season four and part of season five to to develop and that worked well. So at the time I was watching, when you're watching it, of course you're going to want as much as possible, but it was probably wanting as much as possible in the clean context rather than the Blaine context at that particular point in time. Um, what I suppose in terms of like um, with all of his songs and what was it you said Blaine is the human jukebox in the notes that you sent out, like it was great but we didn't get anything that had the emotional impact of Teenage Dream or say Somewhere Only We Know in this particular season. It was um, sort of... I think he got something in most episodes to sing. Um, he has a, that, just throwing that out the the statistics. He has seven solos, and then uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven duets, and a handful of leads and group numbers. Yeah. On that note, I don't, and like I mean that continued through the series. Like he he did sing a lot because his songs sold, and they're gonna they're going to invite the whatever the executives are going to use that i don't think audiences experienced the what i call the rachel berry exhaustion with him because what he what he did and what he's saying it was a variety that was different it was not well, just he, standing has there. A, he has a pop singer's voice so he was able yeah. to churn out pop songs better yeah, than most yeah. of the people in the cast who can sing very well very differently mm-hmm. but if and you so, want I mean, to sell songs I He's think also Blaine is a more charismatic and a and um gosh I don't know if approachable is the right word character than Rachel like Blaine's songs are just fun yeah I mean they're just fun and they have a really solid um re-listening value to them outside mm-hmm. of the context of the show yeah like you you don't have to know what's going on in the show to enjoy his renditions of whatever he's singing. Mm -hmm. And that is really effective for selling music. And they didn't have another male singer who had the draw because they had Artie, but they didn't have anybody else who had the draw and had the, the proper not range because he doesn't have a big range. His voice is, Oh my God, someone's going to hurt me. His voice isn't that great. No, it's um, true. <laughs> and he's the first person, Darren's the he's first just person to say that. stupidly charismatic. Yeah, that's yeah. Darren is the first to say that he has got a voice that is uh, maybe an octave and a half. It isn't really a Broadway voice. So he's said that. I'm quoting him from an interview. 
He knows, but he also knows what his strengths and weaknesses are. And he, uh, you know, I don't know how much collaboration he got within it, but I'm pretty sure that they knew what worked and what was selling and they went with it. Um, yeah. And, and, and it did work. I mean, yeah. And when they want to cover the song of the summer, whatever that happened to be, they had Blaine who could sing it. Mm-hmm. And he would dance around and be cute. Mm-hmm. And make goofy faces at Kurt. And it was great. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, going back to the point where with Rachel Fatigue, you have all of these songs that are these overly emotional ballads. Um, yeah. And they're not fun to listen to. I mean, can you imagine a Rachel CD? I, oh boy. It's not, it's not even that they're just not fun to listen. It's like they're not fun to watch. Like, yeah. you could probably go back and listen to them and go, you know what, this is good. It's well-performed and everything like that. But watching it on your screen, oh, look at that. She's standing in the middle of the stage again. Her hands are in fists. She's crying. We've seen this 60,000 times. I, um, can't, I can't even think of a song in season three of hers that I liked. I mean, I'm sure oh, if I looked, want? I can. No. I don't feel like <laughs> pulling up the list. <laughs> I'll, I'll look at a list. Yeah. But, yeah, that's but that's playing season three. Um but we did get some really interesting. When we Big got it, we got great stuff. We got yeah. great stuff in the first time. We got great stuff in Big Brother, and we got great stuff at Dance with Somebody. Should we yeah. take an obligatory moment and remember <laughs> the wonderfulness that was Matt Bomer? <sighs> Just to bring us to a good place, because we've been so negative. And I'm going to go this on is, my Kurt rant. This is so. true. We, we need to have a positive moment of Anderson Booty. <laughs> I mean, let us all take the take this moment mm-hmm. to remember Hungry Like the Wolf and them squatting down and twisting and turning with their hips and their bottoms and the camera <laughs> lovingly hugging each of their curves as mm-hmm. I sit watching here going, at least Matt Bomer's old enough that I don't feel weird perving on him. Well, and he's there for that point. He is, and my God, it is well served. <laughs> I salute you, Ryan Murphy, every time you want to bring him on the screen. <laughs> just just, just to refresh our, our memories, what, what amount do you like Cooper Anderson, RB? <laughs> I, I like Cooper Anderson a normal amount. Okay, that's what I, just, I couldn't quite remember exactly what that was. Okay. As you, as you can tell from the volume that I use when I talk about him, it's a, it's a normal amount. It's well, that's, a, that's how you let people know that you're serious. Are you pointing when you're saying that? Of course I'm pointing while I'm saying it. How <laughs> yeah. else will people know that I'm serious? Because as we all know, a man in a dress is deaf. <laughs> this has been a positive moment. You know what could make you know what the one thing that would make this better? Do you do you know what it would be? What could it be? Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if I can say it without laughing. Hey, I, I want to say it if you can say it. Say it. Say it. It's that part of the podcast where you break the host. <laughs> Do you think that would have been better if we had seen maybe a bulging pink fun <laughs> Yes, it would be much better to include Kurt Hummel's bulging pink fun sack. Well, everything's better with that. I mean, in all honesty, Kurt looked like he would have enjoyed Cooper Anderson seeing his bulging pink fun sack, too. <laughs> Good God. <laughs>
my star. I believe I believe the direct quote is, "Oh dear God, please yes." Yeah. Uh huh. In that moment, we were all Kurt Hummel. Oh, you, you have I to. Was. You're both so pretty and good. <laughs> <laughs> and segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's he. He was a shiny example of solid guest star. You know, it was a good role, and I fully understand that. If the way I had written it, we never would have gotten the entire Big Brother episode. And I'm, I, I recognize that I live in a uh, land of contradictions. Well, you do live in DC, right? I do. <laughs> Are we gonna find her there? It's a, it's a small area. <laughs> I mean, if you can find me in that in the whole big ass city, good luck. Well, her apartment I mean, is. If I was in a crowded restaurant in DC, and I heard someone say "bulging pink fun sack," I would stand up and scream and point and scream. <laughs> so that's, that's how you can do. Find- I'm gonna I'm gonna skulk around to restaurants or at brunch, which is my uh, preferred meal, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. just randomly say "bulging pink fun sack" while holding a mimosa and see if anybody takes the bait. <laughs> this pleases me to no end. <laughs> In fact, I now there. feel that if there was ever a meeting of the minds of fandom, we should not introduce ourselves, but instead just try and say things that out <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> I was just going to say, if I come visit, will you be holding a sign when I get off the plane that says bulging pink fun sack? I will 100% do that. (laughs) I will 100% be that person in the baggage claim area with a sign going like, what? (laughs) Or maybe I should just be holding a bulging pink fun sack. (laughs) What would that look like, Abby? Could you describe what the bulging pink fun sack would look like? I I envision it in a pink satin. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. because you would want to have the shine. Mm-hmm. Because this is not just some regular this... boring run of the mill pink yes. sack. Yes. Kurt but this is Kurtz, so it's going to mm-hmm. have straps as well. Yes. Old what was the what what the size of the pink fun set? Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> I wanted it to be a little small so it could bulge. Yeah, because yes. you have, you're gonna have to overstuff it. So then you'd need the sack, and then you'd need the outer sack to make it bulge. Mm, this is true. This is true. Yeah. And yes. then you'd have, and then you'd obviously have the straps that attaches yeah. it to you in a crossbody mm-hmm. fashion, so that it can uh, dangle. Like a, but make as like cross like a corset. I mean, you want to make sure that it can artfully hang where it needs mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. so that it can be both easily accessible by hands and not something that you have to touch when you don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now that we have that out of our system. <laughs> this has been the positive portion of, <laughs> for those of you who have stuck along with the past two and a half hours. Well, let's face it. Out of the best thing to come out of season three. It's Kurt Hummel's bulging pink fun sack. Oh God, one hundred percent. It's 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 definitely neck and neck uh, between either the bulging pink fun sack or Cooper Anderson. So if I could have both of them together, that would throw, be a super episode. Should we throw the gold lame pants in there as well? Oh God, we should totally. Hey, snarky. This was what the entire Big Brother podcast was. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and Mel just is an enabler. <laughs> I, I, you know, <clears throat> if I could have been on the Choke podcast, <clears throat> there would have been some time spent with the gold lame pants. Those were solid pants. Oh, those pants. I what mean, is the tag that you use whenever you whenever you blog a pi- those pants? It's like oh gold pants. I have multiple. Yeah. <laughs> like the gold pants of something. I don't know. Infamy. Infamy. <laughs> now that we've had podcasts with Snarky, though, can't you hear her tags with her voice? And it's just amazing. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. It's a very quality tagging system. <laughs> and if nobody has taken the time to read her tags, you're really missing out. They're very long. Sometimes I ramble. But they're entertaining. <laughs> Don't stop tagging things. <laughs> you owe it to well, us. My tagging system is two. It's twofold. It's archival <laughs> and pun. They're very long and they're twofold. <laughs> they are. <laughs> okay, getting back onto a, a serious note, which I realize is boring for the rest of you, but um, <laughs> no. I'm you mean we can't talk about Saxon? gold lame pants that are overstuffed. You, if I didn't have to get up at 7.30 in the morning, then it'd be totally cool. Yeah, you realize you're a little out of luck, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were talking about Cooper Anderson, and we didn't even talk about Blaine angry showering. <gasps> okay, oh. I love, I love the angry showering. <laughs> Blaine I is the one the of the few boxing. characters. I love the angry showering. He's, he's like a grumpy puppy. And, like, it's yes. really hard to take a grumpy puppy seriously. You just kind of look at it and go, I understand that you're mad, but you're precious. And I'm trying not to go, oh, my God, you're just precious. What a... But that's what I think of when I see him angry showering. I love mm-hmm. that he goes to his rage place and it's Christina Aguilera. Well, yeah. sure. <laughs> I love that he's the only character who gets to shower without an audience. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's popping around a corner going, hey, friend. He also mm-hmm. gets the mo- the best lighting for his shower. Everybody else is just throw him in there. Someone's going to look at you or talk to you. His, he's got mood lighting for his shower. It's, mm-hmm. it's because he's a Disney prince. I this mean, he, he has, you know, a lighting crew that follows him around. I'm pretty sure that there are birds that are helping him turn the water on and off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that there wasn't a, a parade of critters who helped set up the uh, TV screens behind him as he angry sung in his high water pants. No. And his too small vest. <laughs> Could that boy not afford clothes that fit him? I mean... I think and we how all did his know... boyfriend let him go out without clothes that were properly tailored? We all know that they have a Victorian romance. Kurt flashes some shoulder... Blaine flashes some ankle. It's on. But couldn't have Kurt properly hemmed his pants? No, like, he wants that little tease. Uh, he also wants the clothes as tight as possible. Clearly. Yeah. Is he because he's hoping that if he gets too happy, he's just going to burst out of them? Well, yeah, he probably is hoping that. <laughs> and attempt at segue number two. <laughs> okay. What serious oh. topic would you like for us to discuss now? Uh-oh. <laughs> I give you a cookie because you've been so good for so long. I know, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> it's refreshing. 
It's like, ah, we're going to wash away all the, all the, all the grumpy that we've had to talk about with some, with some onion booty Anderson boys. I'm the grumpiest (laughs) host ever. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm not. Okay. So moving on to Kurt, um, the thing that's sticking out to me in retrospect, or maybe it's just because I'm doing all the season four stuff now, I just look back at season three and Kurt really doesn't do very much that isn't tied up with Rachel and Yada or Blaine. And... But he somehow is still able to do more than Rachel. That's yeah. true. And he's in a lot of other little pieces. I mean, he, he's in the stuff with Unique, and there's the stuff with Karofsky in the middle of the season. And he's definitely there. But I... Season three is still my least favorite Kurt stuff, too. With the exception of a few moments. Well, it's because he's just shit on throughout the entire season. Like, like to put it like in in terms of like the presidential election, in terms of like the whole Niada stuff and everything like that, and it's just like very much. I don't, I don't mind Kurt having adversity. I think it helps to give him grit. I do think mm-hmm. it's notable how much he really is a linchpin for so many of the things that happened in season three. The only storyline mm-hmm. he's not really involved in is Santana's, which is sort of weird kind of is in there but mostly not um and we do see the complications of the magical you know he has the magical wish for his senior year to be wonderful by putting a blame on it all the time yeah um and you know it it has a little bit of good and bad which is very reasonable but but we definitely see him within he's risen so much from when we first meet him and he's being thrown into a dumpster, obviously when we first meet him, but Mm -hmm. you know, he can, he is, he is who he is. He's comfortable and he's not continually attacked for it. And he's, he's just, he's in such a better place um, that I don't mind some of the other adversities because I think Kurt's life will be hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Nayada thing is I will go to my rage place because that makes no sense. But if it needed to make sense in order for me to get being alive next season, okay, mm-hmm. maybe I have to take that one on the chin. Um, but I do think he has a really interesting senior year. The only thing I think it's really missing is Mercedes. And even, I mean, he does have the stuff a little bit with, with unique is with Mercedes, but I, I do. That's true. That's true. I, I kind of looking at this, like there's three kind of major Kurdish things that are going on in this season. One is kind of the continuation of the bullying stuff where they make Kurt little too much of their um, stand up poster boy for this is how we should act correctly in the world. Like not giving back this, the, the, uh, the, the taking the higher road character. Um, yeah. and I, I, it's unfortunate that they kept making him do that. Um, I, okay. Um, there's the stuff with Rachel where you can tell that, and I whined about this all season, so I probably should stop before I go too far, that 
his story was always paralleled to hers and they, his story, whatever it was, was supposed to balance out hers. And sometimes, most of the time, it didn't make much sense, but that's the way the writers wanted to write that. And then there's the stuff with, with Blaine. Would you like to know the one thing that makes me really, really mad about season three? There's one. <laughs> because of the way Glee is structured, and because of the way Hummelberry was structured, and the Rachel fatigue, I for the life of me, cannot fathom how Will Schuster thought it was inappropriate. Or Will Schuster never thought that what he ought to do at a competition episode is have Kurt and Rachel sing together. Mm-hmm. Rachel on her own yeah. is kind of boring, or she's doing songs that don't really work for her. When Rachel and Kurt sing together, they make each other fabulous. And it is something, it shows off talent that no one else can do within their glee club. You know, we get a hint of it um, in the Whitney episode when Mercedes and Santana and Kurt and Rachel all sing together. And it's like, well, these are clearly the people who need to be singing at sectionals and regionals and nationals every fucking time. Because that's the specialness of your choir. But what enrages me is that they never had a competition episode where Kurt and Rachel sang together and it would have been really good. And it would have been something in season three that would have made it different than mm-hmm. all of their other competitions. And it, you know, they're building this friendship. They're building this thing about the two of them and they never used it within the context of the formula of the show. They don't even have to sing wicked. They could sing anything else and it would have been really good and they just didn't they never really knew what to do until season five how to use kurt's voice in a group number they do i mean he does get a a little bit of a solo in abc during sectionals sure sure but group numbers but But think about happy days are here again but also the show is always so focused on its couples that sometimes it for really forgot the pair, I mean, unless it's Mercedes and Santana, for whatever reason, they don't really do a lot of competition, um, non-relationship duet stuff. Sure. Except for they're pushing these BFFs. You know, they, they sang for good at the end of season two. You know, they went back to their, their wicked roots and had a duet. Like it, it just seems like such an obvious choice, and why didn't they ever do just one song out of their three for one of those competition things? would have made so much more sense. But because that never happened, especially that, I hate Will. Like, I just... <laughs> there's no reason. There's, there's no reason for him never to <clears throat> thought, oh, well, here's this person who's super talented, her voice is very approachable and good, and here's this other person who's super talented in a way that's just different enough that when you do it in a pairing, it's this magical other thing, right? Instead, they have Blaine rap. What? <laughs> what? What is wrong with you? That is stupid. Like, Kurt Hummel should have sung in a competition with Rachel. That is an unstoppable force. 
You know what's interesting? Kind of jumping off but going in a different direction. I'm finding... Uh, <laughs> I know, it's like a slide. Um, I'm finding season four Hummelberry more interesting. As aggravating as it can be sometimes. Because there's tension and because there's... Kurt's going through a lot of other things. It's interesting. And in, in season three... It's like they've got this Miata storyline going, and... Yeah, Will knew he was going to Miata. Will knew that Carmen was going to be at that... Yeah. Was going to be at the thing. Why couldn't Kurt sing with Rachel at that moment? Because he was set up to believe that he'd succeeded. That's true. He didn't need to fight, because... That's true. old pants compel you. Carmen had raised up to Come and raved after his audition. So it was set up that he had no reason to fight. And he was in that opportunity, whereas Rachel had to. Because God forbid she she fails. And that's and that's sort of part of the issue with like what you said before, it was good like Kurt's facing adversity and things like that. But he would be faced with sort of these challenges and he would like, for example, the presidential the president election, like um and he was, he lost that and there was no, okay, this is Kurt Hummel we're talking about. What's the next thing he's going to be doing and organising to try and get on his application and to try and show, you know, um, he's got that ability in him. And so that, there was no real follow-up to that. So he, he lost that and that was kind of it. Um, he auditioned for Niada and it was like raved about and then it's not until like the final minutes of the final episode of the season, oh, by the way, you didn't get in, so we don't get the follow-up to that. And that's part of the frustration, like give him the chance to 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 fight back and to try something new. I and mean, there's no, yeah, there's no reason for can and Kurt to have had any appreciation for Will at any point. No, 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 no. The, the, the whole narrative of Will Schuster saving Kurt's life that is consistently mentioned in his show pisses me off because we learned in 2009 it was Emma. It wasn't Will. Yep. Well, and, and even on top of that, the fact that Kurt's own actions and the way Chris Culver plays it, at no point does he actually, except for that one sentence in that one episode, does it ever really even reflect that. But, yeah. He cannot, you know, he just, it's just disdain. Yeah. I mean, for the entire series, he's basically, the only reason why he doesn't slap Will is because Will is a teacher. Yep. yep. I mean, if they had been two adults or, you know, out in the world, mm -hmm. someone would have gotten slapped. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the Hummelberry stuff, though, the thing is, like, it's all... Kurt doesn't get a thing or and Rachel doesn't really she's not really there that's kind of Blaine takes that role but when Rachel doesn't get a thing Kurt's right there being her emotional prop when Finn isn't available or whatever and in and it does it does change in season four actually there's more tension then there's more complexity there's more things just in general going on but like it, it got tiring like episode after episode he doesn't you know Kurt doesn't get to do much with Blaine but man, does he get to like snuggle up to Rachel all the time? And it just And it's about like one of the moments that I that annoyed me the most was when he got his letter about auditioning. That he got his acceptance letter for the audition. 
And the second he told Rachel, it became all about her because she hadn't received hers yet. There was no congratulations, Kurt. It was, what about me? I'm in tears. Kurt, now you need to hug me and you need to make me feel better. Um, and that probably sort of is one of the key moments in season three that I'm like wanted to throw something at the screen. I mean, he does it in the Purple Piano Project. Um, they have a little bit of tension with the 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 um, what is that thing that happened with presidential election? Wow. Um, and, and then you go into that time and that was in Michael and with through the choke stuff and the ending and it, it but yeah at the end of the series or at the end of the season we get this really big moment where Kurt doesn't get into Indiana and wait a minute let's talk let's forget about that let's not even show a reaction let's talk about Rachel getting in and uh-huh. send her off to New York and that's what frustrates me about the whole Niata stuff because it's all tied up in with Rachel and Kurt just being there for her emotional support even though she has Finn for that as well so but does she seems like Finn doesn't do that good of a job <laughs> So, on, on a different note, um, Starkey might like this topic, because um, I just, I noticed it, and I don't really have any, I don't know what to say about it, but I just thought it was interesting. Kurt, Kurt's sense of style changes. He goes from having some wacky, crazy outfits, which I noticed are kind of when he's in the background, or not really the focus point of the scene, to a very tailored and, and much more masculine look than in the past, and when he's in the foreground. Well, I think there's two things happening. One, he pulls focus, obviously. And when he's not being heard, he expresses himself more loudly through fashion. Um, There's also the theory of, you know, dressing for the romance that you're in. And Blaine really being appreciative of of a particular set of looks. The very, you know, he's... They're dating men, so they want their men to look like men, that kind of thing. Um, there's so many different things that are going on with what he's wearing based off of the situation about it. You know, like it's, I'm going to go back to the gold lame pants of me. <clears throat> you know, not only is it fitting because that's what the character actually wore, but I think it's really interesting that we have a scene, a performance where he really, truly shines and he takes off one piece of armor, which is the fake Phantom of the Opera tearaway stripper tuxedo thing. (laughs) Um, And what emerges from underneath are these shiny, tight, crazy pants, um, which are, you know, they are exactly what they ought ought to have been for the scene, but they are also tailored to him in a very particular way where you can't not look, you know? And he does a lot of stuff with textures and he does a lot of stuff with layers, which is very meta. Um, And he doesn't do a lot of super wacky outfits the the wackiness fades away a little bit and it's all very meaningful which is why um you know after the first time episode he's wearing that that uh 
equestrian outfit. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and it's like, oh, gosh, um, subtle, you know. <laughs> yes, subtle. Um, there's a little less bondage, which is interesting. Uh, and there's a little more tailoring, which is interesting. In terms of, like, his, like, outfits, I can't, I don't necessarily have to be able to look at a specific outfit and look at what that particularly means. But looking at sort of at a, as a whole what you said about, like, the changing wardrobe between the crazy and the tailored, like, he's he's on the precipice in this season, you know. It's his senior year. He's on, he's on this edge between adolescence and adulthood. And previously in his adolescent, you know, earlier seasons, he was screaming to be heard and that was part of where his clothes came from he wanted to be noticed he wanted to be acknowledged and as snarky said earlier in this senior year he has he's settled into himself more he's um he's more accepted and things like that and so I think that the the changing wardrobe is sort of representing that sort of duality that he's sort of he's making that um that because after this season it becomes that much more tailored look like he's he's certainly Fabulous, but there's no more braided hats, and he does have his fox tail in in early season four, but it becomes a much more masculine sort of tailored look. Um, and so well, I think he's got to be, you know, business appropriate when he's yeah. at Vogue. Yeah, but it's also like two ex- it's accessories that accentuate him, not the entire ensemble. So if you remember in the Britney episode in season two, um, when he I thought when I was watching it, I thought that they actually did drop an F-bomb on the show, but I guess he didn't say that. When he lashes out at Will and screams at him, he's wearing the gray sweater with the crisscross, the like sort of subtle bondage, and he's wearing the kilt. And so he's screaming to be heard wearing the gray sweater. The next time the gray sweater comes back in is when Blaine is singing cough syrup. Okay, so there's a sweater that he's wearing when he yells at Will. And that's season two, and he's paired that with a kilt at school. It's awesome. He also has on leggings underneath. The whole thing is fabulous. And it's like this bondage kind of sweater. And the next time we see it is um, when Blaine is singing cough syrup. And in that iteration, he's wearing it with pants. And he looks very soft. And it's another situation where, like, someone's screaming to be heard and it's not quite being heard correctly. And the, the linkage between these two scenes is the sweater. I like it. <laughs> I like when they repeat his outfits. I also like it when they make him wear clothes that he wore earlier later as the body progression continues. It's fabulous. <laughs> There's some season one stuff they could squeeze him into. I'd be fine with it. They tried to. They tried to in 2009. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <sighs> 2009. Good <laughs> times. <laughs> some things just don't work. <laughs> Going backwards in time through puberty is one of them. <laughs> Um, but one thing uh, on a more positive note that I think is fascinating about Kurt's entire arc during this season is that he gets this kind of level of confidence. I mean, he has, you know, his dad is is doing great. He gets a brother. He has a BFF. He has a boyfriend. He gets to have sex for the first time. You know, he's going to college and everything is great. And, and it's kind of like he gets to the end and then there's all of these things that are going to just change. And so, yeah, season three, I mean, he's got his ups and downs and his setbacks and whatever, but it's mostly kind of static movement. And that's what I think going into season four makes it so interesting 
is that every his, his entire world is about to be shattered because he is so like on a high through this entire season and it's going to be great and just you know so well things are pretty shattered at the very end of season 3 right that's the beginning of where it goes is the end of season oh. 3 so I like, um, and maybe you can remember the exact lines it is. I like this, the lines that he sings in We Are the Champions mm-hmm. because it talks about basically like, I had some struggles. I got better. Fuck all you people. <laughs> yeah, give me a second because I actually have Kurt's page up. Um, well, we can talk about it at the Goodbye Podcast. <laughs> that's true. We haven't actually done that yet. Uh, um, we talked. We talked about it in anyway, the. Um, can we go back to the, uh, the whole? Uh, Kurt has. Kurt is now having sex. We will. Hold on, just. But it's okay. It's Kurt. You're right. That's right, Mel. We did talk about that in Nationals. Um, oh, okay. It was. I've taken oh, my vows and my curtain calls. You brought me fame and fortune. Everything that goes with it. I thank you all. Yeah, that's clearly yeah. him rising above. And when you look at, when you look at, um, someday you will all work for me. And then that set of lines. I just think it's it's a good high school arc for him. Yep. Well, and think about it. He doesn't get his re- rejection letter technically till after graduation. So he ends high school on this really high note. Yeah. And then, bam, you know, here's adulthood and, you know, reality isn't what you think it is, kid. So, um, yeah. but okay. So going to the claim stuff, which kind of has its own little arc. You just said you had something. What? Somebody met. Okay, fine. <laughs> Somebody mentioned something, and I don't remember who was talking because I'm clearly so attentive to the rest of you. Um, all right, so we have the clean arc, and there's not much of it because they decide to shove them in the background and have them not do much. But in the beginning, we, I mean, there's the stuff with them kind of being in competition with each other for the musical, but not really. And then you get the stuff in the first time where they're kind of, you know, uh, taking this next step in the relationship. And, um, you know, all of this. And then we don't get another storyline until the next week. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue that, I mean, it's not really there, but you're right. We don't get anything to dance with somebody, but there are these little, like, tiny little specks of things that are, yeah. like, after Christmas. Blaine is on this kind of darker path about worrying about the future. Kurt is not really paying any attention. And this split just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually we get to the breakup. Because Clan gets paralleled with Finchel, I'm just going to point out that while Finchel has problems and doesn't ever seem to make any headway, Clan, to the best of their 17-year-old and 18-year-old teenage boy abilities... Issues come up, they attempt to deal with them, they try and communicate as best they can, they work towards their strengths, they pay attention to what the other person wants, and they they build real connection with each other throughout. Not just about what they think the other person is, or what that person might do for them, but like honest, solid connection. Which is why they seem like the high school sweethearts who in 10 years could get married. I like to put things that far out. (laughs) As it should have been. We'll go with five. (laughs) 
if Curtin had had his way, they would have gotten married when they were 30. Um, no, married by 30. Married by 30. Oh, that's true. But yeah, and I, it's kind of interesting that season three is this kind of crossroads for them in that, you know, the first time, while it is starting to bring up some other issues, it is the climax of this whole happily ever after fairy tale <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I really said that unironically. <laughs> Weird. Well, oh, there's so much climaxing. I'm a major angel. Oh man! This is our three, <laughs> and then things, you know, and it's after really the the turn is after Christmas and after the, you know, I don't know if you guys want to count the box scene in there or not, but like I count it. I count it because they they reference it later. <laughs> They're like, yeah. eh, it's canon because everybody knows about it. <laughs> But after you know, after Christmas and and yeah, that's that's it's not a whole lot. I mean, there's not we're just picking at background scenes and facial expressions and like little tiny moments of you know nothingness. But there is something there that the, the whole season four stuff I don't think comes out of completely nowhere. Um, but I don't think that the season four stuff comes out of nowhere. I think the only reason why season four seems like it does is because Blaine was not fleshed out as much as people wanted and they still wanted him to be all the things and they didn't want him to be that thing. And so they just didn't want to deal with it. There's a lot of, and I, we didn't really talk about this with Blaine when we were talking about Blaine, um, was all the, the angst in the second half of the season. I mean, after he gets uh-huh. with, you know, back from that rock slushy, he's just angsting uh-huh. the whole entire rest of the season. And Kurt is well, oblivious. Yeah, I had I remember like watching it and I remember going into the finale with a real fear that they would split up in that episode. And it wouldn't it wouldn't have surprised me to have the writers make that decision. And if Kurt was leaving at the end of that particular episode, it would kind of in a way make sense. Though like these two will always be they will always fight for things. They will always give things a go before perhaps saying this is not working or things like that. But in terms of the issues that was that were raised in dance with somebody, um, they never actually really concretely discussed how exactly are they going to make this long-distance relationship work because Kurt's, in, in the scene with Emma, Kurt's playing, you know, Kurt's plan to catch the magic plane or train from New York to Lima every second weekend or whatever, realistically, is not something that they could do. And sort of after that, you know, yes, there was the, you know, we're never going to say goodbye to each other. And, you know, we knew that they would do everything that they would, they could do to make it work. But it, they, we never actually got a moment between the two of them legitimately discussing how are we going to make this long-distance relationship work. But I also kind of think that in a 17, 18-year-old mind... That's true, yeah. They they, mm. they I mean, think they that it is, it is doable to mm. hop the magical train um, <laughs> every couple of weeks. Like, I, I they feel like... they they and thought texting they and calling. Mm. I mean, those of us who are adults and have, you know, either experience with a long-term relationship or just... Uh, 
life experience to know that things come up and you can't always plan out your time that well. Um, or, you know, things that are happening to you currently take precedence over things that are happening away and are a little out of sight, out of mind. It may not have seemed like they did, but I think that in a, in a high school teenage way, they did. It was just a, it was just a short-sighted plan. Yeah. This is a, this is the thing that I think is frustrating about the way they left Clayne at season three. Mm-hmm. And I know, Pam, I know your issue is that they don't kiss when everybody else kisses when they come back and celebrate nationals. The thing that drives me crazy, because I don't think them kissing in the hallway after nationals would have made sense. No, I don't think so either. It was the, on the culmination the platform, of... On the platform of the train station, the Lima Express to New York City, when they, when they were all waving goodbye to Rachel... Kurt and Blaine should have been holding hands. Mm, yeah. That that would have been a meaningful, reasonable wrap to exactly where they were. Well, but, they were like, but they were. But the were, thing was, Blaine was that. never. Mm, but Blaine was never a part of his Miata storyline, which was wrong as well. Like, after. Well, he kind of is. I mean, he goes to the audition. Friends he does. Where the fuck is Finn? He's there watching, but we and I suppose he helped him prepare for the audition. But in oh, terms he of clearly did, like when he got when he got um, what was I'm just trying to think the acceptance letter. Like we never got to see him with Blaine after that. Like, I mean, and, technically, yeah, Michael was, was. I mean, like he does. My, and Michael Blaine toasts oh, her, yeah. but it's all about Rachel not getting in. So it's Rachel, yeah, it's about Rachel. And then and then as you said, like in the follow up to him not getting into Niata, there was no moment. Like, and it could have even been a background moment, as you were sort of saying there. there was well, no that's what I'm saying. If they would have been holding hands on the platform, it would have it would have helped solidify the end of their season story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't make any sense why they weren't because in that moment, you know that Kurt is happy for Rachel, but feeling vulnerable. And that is Blaine's Batman alarm to go over and stand next to him, put his arm around him. Like, you know that he picks up on that kind of thing and he's like, okay, well time to initiate some touching you know, however much Kirk can handle. But the physical proximity of the two of them didn't make any sense for that scene. Because they're not just part of the group saying goodbye to Rachel. And Kurt is having a very specific moment that nobody else on that platform is having. Because he's supposed to be on that fucking train. And I agree. And my, just to, I guess, put it in my irritation in context a little bit, it's not specifically that Finchel kissed and Britannic kissed and Clayne didn't. It's the fact that the culmination of this entire season, post the first time, they, I mean, and people talk about, well, they're sitting next to each other. Yeah, they're, they're sitting next to each other. You can't tell if they're like a couple or not. There's no, unless, I mean, even dance with somebody, it's held back. There's no real romantic development or physicality between the two of them for the entire season. So to like end it, it almost felt like, you know, this is the last straw. Like, this is the last point. They could have really given them something, and they didn't. And just, I, I guess, it's kind of like, I don't want to... Well, know, it, what about added character, character for them to... Right, and I agree with right. that. I don't think that they should have in that and aspect. And we did get, but, um, 
them dancing together in Saturday Night Gleaver in a very specific way. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> in Finn's fantasy. But then you get the prop stuff, which I know Mel's already heard me talking about. When, yeah, when yeah, sure. Finn and Punk get to be more physical with each other well, than played like, for laughs. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I, I just think about like the way, the way that their story was going, um, them celebrating nationals together at McKinley isn't something that even like they need for characterization. I just think that they really needed to be, they needed to be connected in a more meaningful way on that platform. Right. And I will agree with that. And, and like, I agree that no, it isn't really in character for the two of them to really do stuff um, in public, but. Or Blaine could have gone to Finn on the platform and been like, man, I know how you feel. Right. Like, that would have also been good. But in terms of, like, I mean, it's... In the idea of Kurt and Blaine in public, it's not that they don't want to do things in public. It's the com- it's the comfortable factor. Because by the time a season five rolls around, they have no issue in making out in the McKinley schoolyard. Um, so to me, like, in, in that particular moment in the hallway where everyone's celebrating and there's confetti and there's all this and all that, I don't think it would have been that completely out of character for them to have a moment then to be swept up in that particular moment. Well, by season five, Kurt's been in college for a year. Well, no, no six months. Or, yeah. I don't know the timeline. <laughs> oh, the rules yeah. totally changed. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, society changed. And, you know, there's the whole joke of, like, you know, those two can't start because they're going to finish it. So, yeah. like, they just go with the no touching. <laughs> well, you I mean, look at their first kiss, right? Yeah. Their first kiss was, God was going places. locking piano. And then the second one was, like, are are they doing it right now? <laughs> no. They're going to shove that dead bird's coffin right off the table and do it. <laughs> yeah. I just it, it it is evident that after the first time, the whoever I don't know who it was I'm not here to really even speculate, but like there was a definite we're not gonna go out of our way to show this relationship. Like, like too gay, too gay. Still so, trying to keep our ratings. Um, and I'm not saying they didn't get some nice moments, but even like going back now after we have the whole series and. I, I just look at it and I'm like, the, even the background moments aren't really even satisfying anymore. I'm, I think that's one thing. Well, no, but I think, we've had the end of season five. Well, I also, but I also think that we need to remember, like you had said before, it was, it was a different time and, mm-hmm. and society changed really quickly um, yeah. when it came to showing um, things like that on TV between their first kiss and the end of season six and especially between then and now as well. So like it was slightly unsatisfying when it was airing, but now looking back on it, it's even more unsatisfying because we expect more even in just the short amount of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. And that's why, I mean, like I will take the clean bigger episodes and kind of leave the rest of it, I guess I'd, 
I have to say, when I look back at season three, I just conveniently forget about all the stuff that I don't really care about. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's a much shorter season in my mind. <laughs> it is. It's it's got some great stuff. We'll kind of uh, bring it around in the first It's one probably should at this point. Mm. Um I, I mean unless there's something more you guys wanted to touch upon with claim, I was gonna bring it kind of back around to you know, you guys mentioned we just sat here and we complained for three hours and the thing is going forward you asked me if I was going to be like or I've mentioned I won't be as bad next season is that we sat and we talked about like these storylines but we didn't really we got into why this didn't work why this didn't work and I feel like going forward there's going to be so many things like talking about the story and how it connects and what is going on and everything and it's so much more interesting that I feel like I'm at least me I'm not going to be focusing on like yeah there's newbies okay I don't care uh, and yeah. and just focus on a lot of stuff that I really like. So even if you go back and look at season three and you just look at the clean story arc, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And this is Glee, so for me to say it makes sense is like wow, right. really? Like it makes sense. The stuff is meaningful, and it's not just that I'm bringing you know that I'm bringing my subjective logic into it to make it make sense. They have. Yeah. They have a story that they are telling spread out over a huge amount of time, but all of the pieces, I think, work well together. And they connect well to the next three seasons. What happens yeah. with their relationship in the next three seasons? And I think they connect to the previous season. I think they connect yeah. to season two as well. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it, all, uh, it all kind of wraps up really Interestingly, and I, I I think there's just it feels like there's this big gaping hole between the first time and dance with somebody, but you know there is a story overarching. Well, I mean, you know, there is there's a lot that's not happening, but but if you think about it, you know, Clayne didn't have huge problems for months and months and all this time. They had some bad spots in the middle of a senior year, places where things got to them. So we didn't have to check in all the time about how shit was going wrong. They were basically having that magical senior year with some fluctuations of human emotion in there, you know, places where it was probably more interesting to shine the light on them and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, they're just watching, uh, you know, reality TV. They got a cheese tray, you know, getting to second base <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Whatever I mean, base they used to get to before that. <laughs> Seriously. I see nothing wrong with that. Do I want to hang out with Kurt Hummel and eat comfort food, watch TV, and probably make out? Yeah. I realize I am Blaine. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> sounds awesome. would have been a logical place to end it see i'm really glad that they didn't end it there because i don't think they had eyes on season three in a way that did service to the show as a whole and yeah i in like disagree with it i would never (laughs) (laughs) 
she contacted my not being able to, to speak skill. That is like literally me in every single class that I teach. That will happen in every single class at least once. Um, I will never have ever wanted this to have been the last season. I know sort of um, Arby brought it up that the premise was high school glee club competitions, that sort of thing. But to me, the emphasis of the show is these students and their hopes and their dreams. And as an audience, we were led to expect that we would get to see them trying to achieve this. That it was yeah. that life is more than just what happens in high school. See, and, and I wasn't expecting the that show as an audience member. Cannot end oh, okay. until Rachel is triumphant on Broadway. If nothing yeah. fucking else, the show cannot end until that point. Well, they could have done yeah. that in a five second flash forward scene, but and that's kind of what I was expecting that they would do. I mean, as an audience member, I wasn't expecting to see after high school just because the way that the show was set up, it felt like that was, that was their shtick. That was what they were going to do. Um, and it gives me shades of, God, I feel like I bring this up a lot. Saved by the bell. When they did. <laughs> because Saved um, by the bell is wonderful. I, you have brought up a lot. I know. <laughs> even this evening. But I, but I feel like it's a solid comparison. <laughs> but like once, once they got out of high school, it, they had to do like a college years and it didn't really work. And so that's kind of, and then they also had a new class, which was new people there and it didn't really work, which was what I was kind of coming to it as my experience with mm -hmm. it when they're like, okay, well now we're going to send them off and then we're going to have these new kids. It was like, ah, oh, shit, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, See, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't have you know, it was a problem. Yeah. It was a problem when Laverne and Shirley left Milwaukee and went to California. But Lenny and Squiggy went with them, and it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was, you know, and in retrospect, there was only bad when Laverne left. There yes. are yes, a ton of problems with season four, especially, but with the, the later seasons, I'm not going to say there's not. But I'm going to pretend the first half of season five doesn't really exist. Well, not the first half, like. Four episodes in, and then I skip like ten episodes, and then I pick back up in. Why they're all amazingly cracky? Well, anyway, um, we gotta argue about that in season five. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a lot of really great things there, and I think that they are more interesting than pretty much most of ninety nine point nine percent of the stuff that we got in season three. That's just my open opinion. I know people don't have to agree with it. So, to me, the the second half of season five proved that the show had outgrown the choir room, that it was more than that. And yeah. to me, from the end of season two, that's when they planted the seed about New York and it was consistently being mentioned throughout season three. To me, it would not have made sense if that wasn't continued through. They were going to do yeah. a spinoff, though. I think that there was a lot and of, from what you can tell, even in season three, you can tell they were kind of setting up that Rachel was going to go off to New York and Finn was going to struggle with her as her, BF, her boyfriend and Kurt was going to be her BFF. And granted, I'm glad for a lot of reasons we didn't get that show because I think that would have been kind of a mess of stuff I didn't really enjoy. But, uh, yeah, it's... I do think that because... I mean, if you look at season six and the way it returns back to the choir room stuff, I think that what they initially wanted to write about the, the high school choir stuff and what kind of fans latched onto, which were the character stories, ended up being 
in conflict and and that's kind of what ultimately was the major issue with writing throughout of Glee, if that makes any sense, anything that I just said. Well, I think this entire conversation really is emphasizing that they needed an editor because even though, even those of us who watched the entire series, we at this point cannot agree on what they were aiming for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they were trying to, I, I think that they were trying to please everybody at once and Sometimes you got season three, and then in season four, they were trying to please themselves and everybody. And then in season five, they didn't care anymore. And then in season six, they're like, you know what? We're doing what we want to do, and we're going to wrap this up. That's my own yeah. interpretation. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've reached reached the end. I think that we've exhausted season three. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure some people really love it, but I think... Us, we're probably happy to move on, except for it'll be interesting. I some, some of it. I mean, I, there are some I the don't highlights. Dislike are season three as much as I was gonna say, except for RB. <laughs> the highlight, but the highlights of season of season three are so fucking high. Yeah, they are good. I will say that. I mean, there are some shining moments of season three. So, I mean, we got we got Cooper. We mm-hmm. got uh, them banging. We got that, yeah. I mean, that's what we should do. End this on yeah, a positive those note. Are the with highlights. Me. Those are some solid highlights. We got the gold Lemay pants and the reference to Hugh Jackman. Those Bert are kind Hummel? of my three highlights. So Bert Hummel is not sick in season three. Exactly. Yes. Bert Hummel. We, we get some really good comedy. I think that um, the guest stars are really good. We talked about Coach Ross and obviously Matt Bomer, but Ricky Martin and Jeff Goldblum and um, oh god, I always forget her other dad's name. Friends are some great comedy there. Um, okay, the conversation that they're having about the quote unquote squeaky tires is one of my favorite things. <laughs> you mean you mean right after they sing "You're the Top"? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Mine is when they're trying to stop the Finchel wedding, and he's like, "We, you know, Patty Lapone herself cannot stop this wedding." And he's and and the other dad is like, "But Barbara could." And Carol's like, "Who's Barbara?" And they're like, "Barbara Streisand." And she's like, "Oh God." Carol is flawless. So there there are good things, and and as much as I whine, it's still a season of Glee, and. There are still things that I do enjoy about it. And and going through this whole podcast and, and doing the meta, I've actually enjoyed it more than I I, you know, complain about. But is it wrong that I have the mental image of you choking on those words right now? <laughs> I enjoyed it more than I thought I did. <laughs> I did kind of stop and like, do I really mean this? Is this really I in my heart? Spat those words out. It's like ugh. <laughs> it's a front. Oh, never mind. I'll stop it. I'll just stop trying. <laughs> it is the season that gave us the bulging pink sun sack. It did. Yes. Yeah. We got gold lame pants. We got bulging pink fun sacks. We got we the got, point because a man and a dress What if I sang it in German dead. or in the nude? Ah. Oh, but you know what we did not get? No more candles. No, no more candles. candles. No, no more candles. We got the... Uh, the Christmas, the Bachelor Chalet. We did. We yeah. did. That yeah. was the highlight. Yeah. We got their best Christmas episode, in my opinion. 
Oh, I will just fight you with that. The Bachelor they had friends who were dressed as characters that were not Star Wars characters because that would be copyright infringement. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so, that's a great There's a lot of really solid bits in, in season three. And so I feel like it's a positive end to focus on these, uh, these glittering little highlights. Absolutely. I would like to end this on a positive note. Oh, wait. Then we have something prepared. We do. We do. We, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Wait a minute. We we do. Did I miss something? <laughs> this was your guys' plan. <laughs> I can't believe that you think that we would plan something. We just wanted to share our love for one of our favorite moments. Mm-hmm. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Hold up. Because they banged, banged, bangity bang, because they bang, bang, bangity bang, 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 <gasps> you and a bulging about- pink fun <laughs> It's just so bulgy. <laughs> that was um that was for my benefit and it was amazing. Thank you. I did not know that they were gonna do that. However, I will leave that in because the listeners need to experience that the way I did. Which was amazing. <laughs> As well they should. We're ending on a positive note. They banged. And that is a 100% positive note. We must say, that was completely unrehearsed. That that magnificence was completely It unrehearsed. was. In case, <laughs> yeah. in case you couldn't tell. Yeah. But see, if we had rehearsed it, it would have been too much for your fragile ears and heart to take. Mm-hmm. And we would have really broken you. This is true. <laughs> and the audience. We would have broken the audience. Well, there the audience is long gone. We've been complaining for like So, um, I want to thank you guys so much for for coming out and talking to me, or you know, complaining with me for three hours. Um, and and yeah, this is kind of the end of season three. We are going to go on to, in some ways, more frustrating, and yet in other ways, more interesting season four. So uh, we will see you uh, in about a month, and yeah, have a great night. <laughs>